Lights, camera, action. Hello and welcome to another edition of Movie Madness in association with Spitballing Pod. I'm Luke Byron. I will be joined as always by Keenan Bonner. He's not here at the moment, should be here shortly. And TK is here with us too. Don't mean to uh, undersell you there. Um, the matchup we'll be getting into today is 1994's Pulp Fiction versus 1998's American History X. Uh, TK, rather than ask how you are this week, I will ask instead a topic of discussion from uh, the aforementioned film. Is a foot massage in the same ballpark as sticking your tongue in the holiest of holes? <laughs> I'm not sure it's the same ballpark. I can get along with a lot of what he said, but I don't know if I can get along with that. Okay, well, you've answered the question. This is like one of those uh, Twitter threads from a, a very biased account that says, let's settle this once and for all. <laughs> News Having said week. that, I, I ain't giving anyone a foot massage. I don't care who it is. <laughs> Good looking, it doesn't matter. It ain't happening. No, no, it's not for me. Disgusting the things. Week. Not too much this week, but I will run you through it. So, Disney's Planet of the Apes movie could reportedly lead to a new trilogy. The new film will be a continuation rather than a reboot. Jesus Christ. So they're going on from... Uh, the last one, what was it? War of the Planet of the Apes. Do we need that? I don't think we do, but I did really enjoy that trilogy, so hopefully they get something I, good yeah, out of it. I enjoyed it as well, and that's probably why I think we should leave it. Yeah, basically, I think it came across in the deal that I assume when they got Spider-Man and all of that other business... And they were expected to sell the rights. And then right. I think they must have seen how well the trilogy did when they got the numbers over. And so put it into plan to do another one instead. And rather than start from scratch again, I think they're doing this with a number of things that they got the rights for because uh, Daredevil and Jessica Jones and the Punisher, it's believed they aren't completely rebooting that and they're going to bring back the actors that people who are fans of the show kind of loved. But start again in the sense that you won't need to have watched the previous series basically but if you have it's going to be somewhat interlinked i've not okay. explained it well but nor have they essentially <laughs> they're just going to the same actors yeah and not go through the whole origin story again which is much better because like spider-man we didn't need to see him get bitten by a spider for the 18th time so <laughs> it all works well Al Pacino says that he would cast Timothy Chalamet as his character in a Heat remake. Okay. Not who I would have chosen. I don't know who I would have chosen. Oh, there we would go. You choose for that? I don't really know. Get Nicolas Cage. Blimey. Let him cook. Uh, yeah, I can't really think. There's no one obvious that um, I can think of that would stand out. 
this is usually where there's someone that always will suggest Tom Hardy for this, that he can just have every single role. Oh, God. Hopefully that's that's not the case. Horrible. Antonio Banderas is up for Quentin Tarantino's Zorro, Django Unchained crossover and says he has discussed it with the director. Blimey. Now, I did... Sorry. I was about to say, do you think that'll go like Batman versus Superman? It'll just be utterly <laughs> outraged. Well, it was rumoured right from when they did Django Unchained. And so I looked in to see if I could find anything else about the discussion they had. And supposedly it was at a 2020 party. So he's just kept this quiet for two years where he bumped into Tarantino and Tarantino told him, yeah, this is completely in your hands as to whether we do this. He said he's up for it, and now Tarantino's kind of like, well, I mean, it's good that you want to do it, but um, yeah, we'll see, man, we'll see. So <laughs> I think probably have one film left. What a savage. So, Banderas maybe doesn't have a lot going on at the moment. He's been left holding the baby. Well, it's like the guys that come back to do um, the Kenobi series, which I've not started yet, but several people involved said they wouldn't go back and do Star Wars again. And then once the money starts drying up, they go, you know what? I actually did have a great time doing <laughs> Star Wars. <laughs> Which ties in nicely because Samuel L. Jackson says he would rather play characters like Mace Windu or Nick Fury than take on roles that would more reliably win him awards. He says that winning an Oscar doesn't change your career, traje- career trajectory that much and he'd have far more fun with a lightsaber in his hand than a little statue. Okay. He has done similar interviews like this previously where he basically says, look, if I get one, it's cool. But at the same time, he's kind of called out other actors that have taken on roles because they're made aware previously that they're pretty much singled out for an Academy Award. And he would rather do something he enjoys than some Henry VIII number. Although Samuel L. Jackson as Henry VIII would be sensational. (laughs) The head and his wives were lightsabers. Shout out motherfuckers that get their head chopped (laughs) off. Well, that is the news of the week. Not too much for the week. We will start with Pulp Fiction today. Miramax Films asks the question, what do two hitmen, one girlfriend, a boxer, and a secret suitcase have in common? I don't know. That's a good question. The answer, the most entertaining film of the year. Yummy. Wildly funny and exhilarating. It will leave audiences laughing, gasping, and applauding at the same time. Pulp Fiction. I'm going. That's all it is to it. Rated R. probably the best synopsis i've seen so far and that is a burger loving hitman his philosophical partner a drug-addled gangster's mole and a washed-up boxer converge in this sprawling comedic crime caper their adventures unfurl in three stories that ingeniously trip back and forth in time yeah it's pretty good a burger loving hitman might be the coolest job description ever given You're thinking, sign me up. Yeah. I don't know which one um, precludes the other. But if he has a nice burger on the go and maybe has to take out a hit, which one takes priority? The critics' reviews, I will ask you in the absence of Keenan, what do you think the critics thought of this one? Surely 
positive, surely. Yeah. I always love a good dance scene in a movie, and this one really delivers. <laughs> I actually, when I look through these reviews, I always try to take a balanced picture. And I saw one earlier, and it, it was some nonsense. I didn't even write down what it was, but they gave Jesus. this like they gave this like a two out of ten. And the the description was like it, it's boring, it's profanity for the sake of profanity, and kind of all the things that if you asked like a ninety year old prudish I was gonna say woman, could be a man, to review this that you would get. And it wasn't, plus all the picture of the person reviewing it. And I actually saw that you can see their other reviews. The whole thing was just mental. Well, like, given, they, well, they gave like the new Nicolas Cage one a seven out of ten. Now I've not seen it, but I'm going to assume Pulp Fiction is probably <laughs> no no less high class entertainment than that was. Yeah. And then there's just things like uh, some like animated chipmunk ones, and they're getting like six out of tens and. The whole balance of things. Uncut Gems was a 1 out of 10 because they didn't like anyone involved in the whole film and so why would I want to sit through two hours of it? This person deserves death. Yeah, they're actually twins. Both of them. Twins. I don't yeah. care if the other one's innocent. Identical twins. No, well, they both reviewed together and they sign it off as twins, so... Oh, God. They didn't like American History X either, so I can, ass- I can assure you they won't be tuning into this episode. Some of they got about 14 years of uh, doing it though, so so now they've managed that. Very much gone for the Skip Bayless approach. If we just yeah. if we just say the opposite, hopefully we can make <laughs> a career out of this. There's not much to add about Tarantino's magnum opus, so popular over the years and buoyed by dialogue so sharp and witty, it'll be quoted with glee by the grandchildren of millennials. Michelle. It's full of perfect Tarantino moments with meta references, B movie sleaze, and a sheer sense of fun. Yep. It resurrects John Travolta from Look Who's Talking Hell. It makes Bruce Willis into a serious actor, and it honors the power and fancy of intelligent dialogue. Agreed, Finally. except for the... How is this making Bruce Willis a serious actor? I'm not sure this is the <laughs> one that does that. I'm not having it. This guy just did not like Look Who's Talking or Look Who's Talking too clearly. Sure. The film is so perfectly engrossing that you lose complete track of time during the two-hour 30 duration. Now, where did I put my gold watch? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, spot on. So there we go. Now, the way we've started in recent times is we've kind of gone through the casting what-ifs first before we actually get into the film. And there are some great ones for Pulp Fiction. Some Tarantino's confirmed himself. Some some you're just taking from IMDb or whatever other movie trivia platform you look on. We do love doing that. Yeah, yeah. Never good when we actually have then directors confirmed to us, no, I don't know where the hell you got that from. There's always just that thing where your face drops and you ask him, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> kind of key, and there's like, yeah, there's no truth in that at all. Oh, okay. oh, well. Now, this is definitely true. The movie cost only $8 million to make. The initial budget was reportedly even lower than that until Bruce Willis came on, and they realised that despite he'd had a few flops in the last few years prior to this, he was still a huge box office draw, particularly overseas. So... Five million of the budget was put towards all of the actors and actresses' salaries in this. 
and the film was already profitable when it first came out, but the rights were then sold abroad for $11 million just to rake in even more. And they say that was largely on the strength of Bruce Willis's presence. So he's gone a long way to making this a success. This it is what United, to... United thought they were getting with Alexis Sanchez. And thought, Look, we're <laughs> going to have to overpay for him, but trust me, it's going to bring it all in for us. Well, it went on to gross over $200 million at the box office. <sighs> and you had this thing, and they do it over here, I guess, with local releases, but you release it in the cinemas, see if it does well in the area, and then if it does then you, you take the money and you sell that further and further. And we had it explained with Napoleon Dynamite, which obviously a, a far lower profile film. But you just couldn't get that now because as soon as you release it in some yeah. cinemas or in some places during COVID, when cinemas opened up over in America, they'd release it in cinemas there, but on demand over here. And it's just so yeah. easy for people to find things online that it just did not work at all. But this is quite cool, I guess, when you can see the word of mouth actually does pick things up and drive it forward. Yeah, it's great with films it's done with that way. It does just take off from, as you say, word of mouth. There's nothing quite like it, really. Because I, I watched some clips when it first came out of um, Tarantino on Joe Rogan. Now, as mm. successful as they both are, those are two people that do just love hearing themselves speak. <laughs> Um, and Rogan says the cinema that he first saw Pulp Fiction in and to that point Tarantino is able to say oh that was when it first came out in the first few weeks this is when we were testing it and so you can see that maybe they carefully placed it I'm sure LA was a hot spot to test these films but mm. oh, works yeah. very well in terms of casting Mickey Rourke passed on the role of Butch in order to pursue his boxing career blimey he also claimed he didn't understand the script and did later regret the decision. I can believe all of the above. Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't there a thing even back to like 2010 where he was still trying the boxing thing? I think it was after The Wrestler and he was just as juiced to the gills as you could possibly be. And I'm sure it was in like Russia or Japan or one of these places that do just actively encourage freak show fights. Yeah, he is a you know proper scrappler. But, uh, and it, I'm not it sure was I'm one of those where it. it was like the worst kind of knockover job you'd ever see in a ring. But he was like 50 plus at this point, so fair play. I was going to say, I mean, he was looking worse to wear by the wrestlers. So. Yeah. Sly Stallone was briefly considered for the role of Butch. Tarantino How is he just, in all well, of these fucking things? Every yeah. time he's there. Well, Tarantino says he just thought it would be cool to have him playing a boxer again. And then ultimately went with Bruce Willis. That would have just been a, such a sideshow for the whole film, wouldn't it? If he's there doing doing basically Rocky again. Can't do it. With all respect to Bruce Willis, uh, to Slice Stallone, sorry. The main appeal of Pulp Fiction is this kind of slick dialogue that goes the whole way through. And <laughs> I guess the charm of uh, Sylvester Stallone is that slick dialogue isn't really in his repertoire. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This one I can completely believe. Uma Thurman originally turned down the role of Mia Wallace until Tarantino was so desperate to have her on board, he kept just phoning her up and reading her the script down the phone until eventually she agreed <laughs> to take the role. <laughs> That's incredible. We know Halle Berry auditioned for the role of Mia, but was rejected by Tarantino. 
And at the point when he couldn't get Uma Thurman confirmed, Jennifer Aniston narrowly missed out on the role. Bloody hell. I can't imagine either of them doing this role. No, I think, and you can see through these castings, Tarantino has the juice at this point. Like, people Mm. want to work with Tarantino. Um, Daniel Day-Lewis is desperate for the role of Vincent Vega, but Tarantino turned him down for John Travolta. And John Travolta, I mean, this is one where people are like, what the hell is it? John Travolta, he's finished at this point. And you turn down Daniel Day-Lewis. There's a big news he's making. And Daniel Day-Lewis now is kind of snuck into this thing where people just call him the goat. Like, it's one of the, you don't have to explain. People just chuck it out there and he's got a few good stories uh, that go in his favour, but not sure I can picture him doing the twist. (laughs) Yeah, I I can fully imagine him in these roles where he goes and lives that lifestyle for six months (laughs) or whatever. Can't picture him doing this sort of stuff. Well, I didn't take down the the whole part of this. So Travolta, I mean, at least at this point, I don't know what he goes on to do, has never touched drugs. He he goes to Tarantino and says, look, you've got me playing a heroin addict. What does it feel like to take heroin? Now, he doesn't go and take heroin. But Tarantino says, look, I know a guy. Go and speak to him and he'll describe to you what it is just do whatever he says and he'll tell you how to get as close to the feeling as you possibly can he goes to this really weird guy i was gonna say ex-addict he may have been a current addict and he says to him what does it feel like to be on heroin and he says drink as much tequila as you can possibly handle and then sit in a warm jacuzzi and he what said he said he went home, he told his girlfriend at the time the work he had to do, and basically told her, line up a hot tub's worth of tequila shots. We're just going to go through these until we can't have any more, and then sit in this tub, and this is going to be supposedly <laughs> the closest we can get to the feeling of being on heroin without taking heroin. Good God. He said it was much more fun than script reading and the other method acting that people would have you go and do. I can imagine, yeah, yeah. What, <laughs> what a gig. I like the idea of him having like an Outlook calendar and it's just meets heroin addict in there. He's going down with a little <laughs> notepad asking questions. Where are you going now, Lee? Well, you know, what was it? Um, James Gandolfini was considered for the role of Vincent Vega, but he refused and recommended John Travolta, who was already talking to Tarantino. What a guy. Now, I don't know how far you are in with um, The Sopranos now. Keaton has fully gone in. I think he's on season five now, where every time I speak to him, he's just watching The Sopranos and messaging me about where he is. But the more you read about James Gandolfini, he does just seem like he was maybe the nicest bloke. Yeah, yeah. I saw a clip recently um, with, oh, I forgot his name, added to me, the guy that plays Christopher. And he says that Gandolfini would just look through uh, like newspaper articles for people that were desperate for work. He would listen to people in the banks and just hear people that were desperate for cash and were going to lose their homes. And he would just 
pay off their debts anonymously, never tell them he was the one that did it, and just let them have the happiness of being debt free. Didn't want any credit. He would just just do that out of the goodness of his heart. And he figured, I'm glad I'm being paid all this money, but I don't need it. He's, he well, got man. a big pay rise before the last series. And then on the final day, split it all up. I think it was about 33 grand a yeah. piece by then, by every member yeah, of the that's cast. Good. That's so good. Yeah. Refreshing, because we, we normally spend most of our time saying, isn't it funny that this guy's an asshole? Yeah. About most actors. Because I think we got on board, we did the podcast on True Romance. I know you weren't on it, but Gandolfini goes into there because Tom Sizemore drops out of the role because he doesn't feel comfortable playing a man that beats a woman. Now, his further charges maybe suggest why he didn't want to do that. But he gets that role and then that spirals into The Sopranos. I don't know if maybe Tarantino just got in touch with him after that. I can imagine if he liked the way he played out in that, he would express it very loudly. I don't know. Weird, because we don't get that kind of role from him in films around this time because he just jumps into Sopranos after. That's it. I guess it must be so hard to to do that once you've once you've established him as Tony yeah. pretty quickly. I imagine it's it's the best thing the about his films. He does is like romantic it? comedies and things like that afterwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He does a lot of sort of like comedy stuff, doesn't he? Which is maybe that's I guess that's probably a conscious decision, isn't it? Yeah. Maybe that's sort of he's done that and that's incredible thing about these films. Like so many like the near misses. Well, on paper, you'd go, well, he's obviously in it. It's brilliant. But Travolta just works out so perfectly in this. Yeah. I think, and we'll speak about him in a bit, I think I mentioned what you'd said to me previously about Travolta in terms of this was just the perfect role to display that kind of quirky weirdness that he has Hmm. without it being really on show as, look at this quirky, weird guy. (laughs) Nicolas Cage, I can't believe we've never seen him in Tarantino link up. Do you think that Tarantino's thinking, like, look, I've got a line. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not crossing a boundary here. I've got some rules. The fact he supposedly does just have one film left, it may just be every little thing he's just ever wanted to do is just going to be crammed into this film. So it may be like an Expendables level lineup where he just needs to work with all these people. You would assume so, wouldn't you? You'd assume he's got a wish list. Imagine if he does just do like a sort of like a boxer, though, where he's like, I'm going to retire. Because he's always said this is the number. Yeah. And if he does that, just go, maybe another one. Maybe one more. I bet him and Buscemi had some mad conversations. I bet him and uh, Christopher Walken oh my did as God. well. <laughs> Dear Lord. Um, so Tarantino's cameo was initially going to be played by Steve Buscemi, but he had to turn it down due to scheduling conflicts. Yeah, so, I knew that one it's assumed that Tarantino would then have played the waiter. But the way it kind of works nicely with Buscemi playing the waiter is, as Mr. Pink in Reservoir Dogs, his big thing at the start is that he doesn't tip the waitstaff, and then he goes on to play a waiter. So good. Maybe the quintessential Buscemi scene. Yep. 94, this film comes out, and I was doing a lot of reading as to why this film really did pop the way it did. Joe Rogan described it as you just felt when you saw this film in theatres, it was like something is changing in this moment. This is something that we've never seen before. And if you just look around the same time, this comes out on the same day as the Shawshank Redemption. It comes out in the same week, I believe, as 
Forrest Gump, The Lion King, and there's something else. There's some other like Disney-ish film that all come out within this same space of each other. And they say that people were just kind of sick and tired of this mid-90s optimism that was just being streamlined through every film they had. It was just making people, people feel a bit sickly. And then you get this film come out that's just the polar opposite of that. It's violent. It's just unforgiving in everything it does. It's mm. got that dark humour running through it. It's fast-paced. Gritty, I'm sure no you real. would see used to describe it. Absolutely. No real structure. It's bouncing around all over the place. Not a linear sort of story. No, and people have that. It does go in, and we'll speak about kind of what makes this film so great, but there's just nothing like it on the market in it works to in its favour more than when you would have, say, four or five gangster films coming out at the same time, all these Disney films coming out at the same time, just something that just stands out on its own. Mm. Now, the dialogue is really what people talk about when it comes to this film. If you kind of put the talk of, oh, that actor's in it or, or whatever, the dialogue, as is the case with most Tarantino films, is really the selling point for it. And the dialogue in this film is probably as crisp as he's got in any of his films. It's certainly the one where I think he won the most awards for the writing in it. If I ask you to guess how many times the word fuck is used in this film. Oh, God. (laughs) See, I don't want to overshoot it here and then whatever you say seems conservative. 260. It's 265. Oh, Christ. <laughs> I thought you were going to get it nailed on for a second. <laughs> it, it runs the whole way through, and it's well, interesting. To the point, you, are, you are totally desensitised to it, aren't you? Pretty quickly in the film, you're just like, I wouldn't notice the amount of times fuck's being used because it's just, as you said, every other word almost. And usually, when you have that, you're never going to hear the dialect be, uh, the dialogue sorry, being described as intelligent or slick or anything like that if anything well i remember the first m&m album i got and it was just being oh can you listen to that he's swearing every other word because you'll have not have anything better to say and it's kind of like with this it's almost well how can it be smooth how can it be slick how can it be intelligent if you're just chucking that out every so often and it's just completely the opposite i mean i swear quite a lot am i not all of those <laughs> blimey he's in yeah here he is wow you're in I normally leave it until there's a lull in the conversation, but you've been You're sounding nice and crisp today. Yeah, well, you were talking about people who are intelligent and swear a lot, and I thought, well, really, that's my real <laughs> I mean, How long okay. have you been here? Uh, I got to TK saying we're desensitised because fuck is used every other word. All right, well, we've not even got into the film yet, so you're right on time. Yeah, um, apologies for my, for my lateness. All good. I was going to say, if you really wanted to nail down this being a Tarantino film, within the first two minutes of the film, he's got this classic Tarantino-esque conversation about robbing a bank with a telephone, and then he just goes at the Vietnamese and the Koreans for no reason. And I've worded it a lot lot nicer than he has. (laughs) And when you're coming off the back of Reservoir Dogs, and True Romance, which people are well aware is is a Tarantino-written film, this does just, you're sat there and you're like, okay, yeah, this is what I, this is what I signed up to, to sit, and, sit and listen to, uh, I guess. 
Yeah, I mean, it is. It is after what I always think, and maybe I'll do it. Maybe I think Reservoir Dogs, like language wise and stuff, is actually more mellow. Mm. Yeah. This I think yeah, it does ramp up, but there are bits in Reservoir Dogs, but I don't think as many as there is in this. I need to watch Reservoir Dogs again, and I've kind of been holding it off because we're going to do it on the podcast. But in true, in true romance, I would say that you have these conversations and the things at the start where they're talking about Elvis, and that's the kind of Tarantino conversations that you get the whole way through. But the most famous scenes in that film, like the Christopher Walken one, he's speaking entirely in tune with what is going on in the scene. It's probably the best example of what he does here in that everything is just slightly off at a right angle mm. throughout Pulp Fiction. And it just sets up with the complete opposite of what they're about to do in a moment. Um, the opening conversation with Jules and Vincent, who are on their way to murder at least one person. They're going to they're take out a couple probably and send a message to some college kids who offended their boss. <laughs> and on the way, they talk about drug laws in Amsterdam, what quarter pounders are called in Paris, um, how sexual a foot massage is. And then it ends with Jules saying, let's get in character. And they go into the apartment. And you've just got this running the whole way through Pulp Fiction with this little like palate cleansers just before you get into something that's just going to blow your mind five minutes later. The, uh, the best thing, is um is like in certain films they do it and they they cut between they talk about in the Sopranos as well like the juxtaposition of the mafia and then like the everyday conversations. This is apparently Quentin, these this stuff is apparently Quentin Tarantino's ideas of like everyday conversations. Like, <laughs> and I know he lives I know he lives an unbelievable life, but like this is ninety four. He's still relatively fresh out of the block, but this is this this is his idea of everyday conversations. <laughs> I mean, the How main many- thing is. How many directors have tried to do that scene you just talked about where they're like trying to have a normal conversation and on the way to murder and they just like get it horribly wrong where it's like this is just like not that slick or funny it's just a bit clunky it, it, whereas it, this very easily it very easily ends up almost like dead air doesn't it? Yeah, yeah and exactly. It's, it's just flat for, for no, well, in fact boy, we talk about it probably in, in this bracket we've, we've spoken about it quite a lot about the slow scenes and etc etc and this shows that you can have them I mean, having the talent you've got on screen always does help, I yeah. suppose. But <laughs> yeah. it's written in a way that it does keep you interested. Like, am I really that interested in, in what a what a Royale is called or what a, what a pound is called in France? Am I fuck? But will I listen to Sam? Will I listen to Samuel L. Jackson and John Travolta talk about it? Yeah, absolutely. It almost feels like a a podcast to me, and kind of what made podcasts grow in the way they did is it's just good to listen to interesting people have nonsense conversations. And mm. so something like this, Tarantino, in interviews that he's done, when he's asked, do you not get offended by people that have just basically tried to rip off your style so much? And he says, well, no, because they're never doing it as good as I'm doing it. And so all it does is when you go and sit down to watch my films after, it just makes what I do the look level, even better. The level of bold-faced hypocrite that Quentin Tarantino would have to be to be offended by someone trying to rip him off. He, he <laughs> says that. He's, he yeah. says in this Joe Rogan interview, which I've, I made it about an hour into, I couldn't get through much more than that. Um, it's, it's maybe the most uncomfortable 20 minutes you'll see where he clearly doesn't want to talk about Harvey Weinstein and Joe Rogan says he doesn't want to either, but keeps asking about it. <laughs> um, and 
Tarantino's going, well, you know, he was never too much of a bad guy to me. So I thought, just, just don't have this conversation. Just, just don't do it. But yeah, he says in there, he feels that he was taking on and getting his own little subgenre in something. He wasn't trying to be the next Scorsese. He was trying to get something, this little subgenre that you could just put in next to that. And he remarks on how people would try and do these things after where you would just put in references. And I think he says uh, Bad Boys is an example. And he says it, it just doesn't feel natural. You have a conversation in a car and there'll be these bad guys stern faced and then all of a sudden they'll go, huh, well, did you watch the match last night? <laughs> and it doesn't feel the same way. In the, yeah. In this, the quarter pounder conversation is so obscure that it can't possibly, I guess, not feel natural because why else would uh, that kind of be works in? That is just a random thing that they may just get into talking about. You've got the whole way through this uh, right-angled conversation. Marcellus, I wrote down in my notes, when Marcellus and Butch have just escaped from uh, being assaulted, one of them escapes from being assaulted, the other one's not so lucky. They're having a conversation about whether things are cool or not between them. And you just get these little moments where, I guess it is comedic, but I don't know. It, everything just seems to work so well, despite the fact that it really shouldn't. Pretty good advert for the film. That, that's pretty uh, stick that on the poster. <laughs> well, the story of how Marcellus had a man thrown out of a four-floor window for giving his wife a foot massage. <laughs> These things that, as you're listening to them, you almost... I don't know. You feel like you almost don't need to be paying attention to every single word because it feels like such an innocuous conversation and then you do get a call back to it whether it's in 10 minutes 20 minutes and one you just get that little nod of okay i see where this links in but it's just so smooth the whole way through it's just a perfect transition throughout which if you get that wrong with the way this film is set up it would be horrible it's gonna be a long two and a half hours rather than Maybe one of the shortest two and a half hours you're ever going to think watching a film. Yeah, even even the the foot massage happens to be a setup for him having to go and uh, see the wife after, and he brings up the foot massage when they're at dinner. He's kind of preparing that ground for him having to take her out on a date. His boss on his boss's orders and seeing what could happen. Um, that whole thing where he's just basically shitting himself that he might fuck her. <laughs> where he's like oh no nothing's going to happen everyone keeps winding him up and he's like worried of what's going to happen it's like, this is in your hands mate. you don't have to <laughs> how do you handle that situation like I mean I mean, she has got him bothered but she can do basically what she wants can't she because he's fucked I mean, the problem is if she decides if she decides it's on and yeah. she's like well look I'm going yeah. to tell him regardless so yeah if you don't do it I'll pro- she'll probably tell him that you did so you may as well yeah, just go along it, with it, it. It's game over for you, regardless. So, do you, do you want do you want a good time with it, or <laughs> do you trying to skip straight to the murder part? It's your choice. We all know a lot of the same people. How would you respond if one of your mates told you that you had to take their bird out for the evening, keep her entertained? I mean, hopefully they're not listening because I can think of a few things worse. <laughs> I was about to say it may strongly depend on the bird. I don't want to spend my evening doing that. 
I mean, Uma Thurman you'd make an exception for? If I gave them a foot massage, I would accept that they could throw me out of a four-story building. <laughs> I'd accept that's fine. I'll be honest, mate. If it, if they gave if the if your one gave me a choice between giving them a foot massage or throwing myself out the window, I'm gone. I'm taking the heat <laughs> on now. TK said similar earlier. Yeah, so none of us are foot guys on here. No, maybe that could maybe that could be our niche. What that we hate just there. No, but, we'd have to go the other way. I think we come on as slam foot fetishes. Yeah, <laughs> let, let everyone, as long as you're in anyone, do whatever makes you happy. But just fucking keep out, keep feet away from it. Uh, fucking disgusting. And it's supposed to be like one in four blokes like feet. So if we're saying Sean is the fourth one that comes on here, I can entirely believe that. I wouldn't hesitate if you said someone you know I, was, I reckon it'd be right at the top of the list uh, if you lined us up and like knowing it's not me I'd I, and you like yeah which one is like yeah it's obviously shooting it? <laughs> it's this is too obvious Come it's on. such a terrible thing but it just fits so well <laughs> anytime I in this scenario, genuinely, I've got, you've got to take my miss out. My only, my only real question is, are you paying for it? Is the bloke paying for it? <laughs> like, that's, that's my only real objection. He's like, yeah, I've got, I've got to start forking the money up. And no, you're all right. <laughs> well, any time that I ask a question or, or I kind of leave something on here and I do get an uncomfortable silence, do I just take that as I'm someone special that you found? Because Mia does say in this, you know, you found someone special when you can just shut the fuck up for a minute and comfortably enjoy the silence. So should I take it as a compliment moving forward rather than the opposite? Are you talking to me? <laughs> oh, you or TK? I'll assume you more so. I'll, I'll be honest, mate. I really quite enjoy the sound of silence, so I don't want to burst your bubble, but I would You don't think I'm special? special. Huh? You don't think I'm special then? Not for that reason, no. I mean, I'll, I'll uh, sit in silence with almost anyone. Uh, I'm glad you're here because I do have some questions down specifically for you. Um, okay. What's a, what if you had a $5 milkshake and yeah. Uma Thurman did ask for some, would you be prepared to share your milkshake? You know your man can't can't do dairy, so she can have a, she can have the job lost. <laughs> well, you kind of eliminated my next question. Go on, what is the next one? I'm intrigued. Well, I mean, you were supposed to say yes, and then I was going to ask if, you, if I would get the same privilege, but... <laughs> Fucking hell. Think, think I'd give... Well, if I give you a bit, the assumption is you're just action it anyway. Come on. No, not that guy. If anything, if I've ever had a sip of someone's drink uh, when you play football or whatever, maybe you'd forget your own. Always always had less because I don't want to be that guy. You look at your drinks bottle and someone said half a lot. <laughs> yeah, that is actually just a personal affront, isn't it? Strangely. <laughs> <laughs> someone, someone, someone too foots me, oh, shit, not your ass, fan. I first part of the game, but I mean, they do half my Lucasade on Rager. <laughs> I think the scenes with these two are my favourite of the whole film. I'm going to ask you both to rank your f- most uh, the people you, you care about the most in this film to the least, just to close things out here. But the darts they have, incredible. Keenan actually answered my question in the week without me uh, wanting to save it to the pod, but I didn't ask TK. I think this is a top three movie dance of all time tk is it in your top three and do you have another two chivolta could take a clean sweep to be fair couldn't he oh i'm forgetting saturday night fever i'm forgetting grisha he's right he could do a lot yeah not for me but i'll appreciate it what was your what was your top three then mate i think this is probably second 
I think Napoleon Dynamite has to be first. Shit, shit suggestion, but we know. <laughs> I did think that was probably coming. Great suggestion. And uh, second or third is going to be uh, Jim in front of his webcam at the end of American Pie 1. Oh, I actually, when you said American Pie the other night, the first thing that came to my head was um, The three. Wedding. Yeah. Yeah, no. I, I assume Stifler was going to have to probably be in there for, maybe just because I've seen it too much now, but certainly at the time that was fucking wild. We're going to do that uh, in a couple of months, actually. Are we? Maybe some creepy some creepy Al Pacino dancing in there somewhere. I did, some mess, Scarface I did, mention, dancing. I did mention to you, Keenan, as you do get me to reveal pod plans on here, but for the anniversary of American Pie 2, I do have planned a deep dive into 1, 2 and 3. Did you did you tell me this or? Yeah. When? I, it's, it's on your WhatsApp, so obviously you didn't pay much attention when I said it. I rarely do, mate, to be honest. So, yeah, one, two and three all on the same podcast. I don't think you told me this. I definitely have. I was looking yeah. at anniversary dates and then That's My Boy was the only real one with any uh, closeness. I don't think you told me this, but fine. Any other dances you throw into the mix? Uh, yeah, Reservoir Dogs, actually. Does it make... It's not better than Napoleon Dynamite, I, I struggle to believe there. Well, I mean, that's, that is just opinion. Yes, yeah, so I think it is, but that might be because I love one film and despise the other. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't know how you can despise Napoleon Dynamite, but I absolutely do know how you can despise it. Yeah. I just don't agree with it. You're somewhat outnumbered on this one as well. <laughs> I was going to say, I'll have to find someone to do that pod with me eventually, but... Wednesday, Wednesday, the twentieth of April. He he said he said this about the American Pie trilogy, as though it was recent. Number one, it was the Tuesday, the nineteenth of April. <laughs> and he also that's... he he also didn't say we're doing it. He said I think. So it's just a suggestion, <laughs> as though as though this isn't as though he doesn't run it. Did you reply? Huh? Did you reply? Uh, no, we were talking about um, we were talking about Piranha at the same time, and you said Piranha would be sensational, and I said would no. Be. I said no, please. <laughs> no, Piranha too, though, just so the 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 shotgun legs. Uh, but... Yeah, that's actually where it goes. When he has shotgun for legs, and I just said I can't do it. <laughs> you also have um, a Piranha that's hiding in a woman's uterus, um, and when they're one incredible set of films, it, it comes Christ. out. Yeah, don't get Kelly Brook for the sequel, unfortunately. I still maintain reading this this part of our conversation that like Vito Corleone stash um, <laughs> for, from De Niro. I still want that for you. Well, my main issue is that it doesn't go all the way. Like I don't even have a beard that connects, so maybe a moustache would be better actually. But the fact I have one eye significantly stronger than the other makes it hard to evenly trim a moustache, <laughs> which is a real issue. <laughs> Because you can get away with having a beard that doesn't join, but when you've actively shaved in a moustache, there's no going back. And uh, there's only so short you can go before you start looking like you'd maybe have a place in the second film we're doing today. Mm. Oh, good God. Yeah, your, exactly. your, fate, your fate does run close to American History <laughs> X at some point. <laughs> not, you've not seen me recently. I don't, uh, I don't shave it myself anymore. I go back to oh. the barbers bit longer on top as well slightly slightly longer not the blade anymore um her mistaking 
heroin for coke in in this uh, in this scene. I think it's another one of those. Whenever I see someone in a film that is like that, kind of passed out, as soon as they've got vomit coming out the corner of their mouth, that's worse than films when people are being chopped up for me in terms of making me squirm. When he's wiping her face, that makes me shudder. Really? And good to know. Is, good to know what you'd be like in that scenario. Well, I'm not. I'm not cleaning that sick up off her. Well, seen as Keenan wouldn't let me have the milkshake, I'm assuming he would let me turn up at his in this situation. I mean, to be honest, if I make that mistake, then fuck it, it's game over, isn't it? You can do what you want. He's <laughs> not coming back for that. Also means your man Vincent has got some incredibly pure heroin. So, little wonder that she's fucked. Has it when he goes to the dealer, doesn't he? He says he doesn't have any baggies, so yeah. it's his fault, really. Yeah, no baggies, so bangs in a rat lot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, an experienced woman like her, she should know better. Yeah. Uh, the, the research I do have for the uh, podcast, why he references a balloon, is traditionally heroin becoming a balloon, so if you get called, pulled over by the police, that you'd be less likely to just chuck that away, so you quickly tie a knot and get it down you. Yeah, Lovely. it takes longer for the balloon to dissolve. Than it would a baggy basically. Which nothing to declare would have you not believe that to be the truth. <laughs> the amount of people that have swallowed these bags and suddenly one of them split inside of them and they're in big trouble sweating going through turnstiles. Yeah, I mean that's just a petrifying scenario to be in, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. not many things more horrifying than the idea like, of that. Neither of you have ever been in an airport with me, but I, I, I'm a fairly I, I'm, I, on the scale of things I'm a fairly relaxed individual going for an airport not when you've got bags in you no because I've never done that because I'm not a fucking <laughs> idiot but going for an airport get on, on the recording yeah it's this slander I, I get it's an accusation I don't understand why I keep coming back <laughs> like, you didn't know what TK said about you before you joined oh for god's sake Unlo- I, I like Tom Wilson he says he pleases nice. <laughs> Make make the master make 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 the master as you will, Luke. There, um, I'll, I'll be honest, mate. Like going for an airport, I'm surprised I don't get stopped because I'm so nervous. Like the anxiety is a nervous flyer. No, no. When I'm on the plane, it's fine. It's getting to the plane. Okay. Mate, I'm checking the bag every ten minutes, make sure there's nothing in there. Even though I know full well there's not. The ang- mate, my anxiety going for an airport is fucking horrific. It goes through the roof. <laughs> I have no idea why. Like no one else has touched my. No, I've never put my bag down. I packed it. Mate, when I'm packing it as well, if I know I'm going to the airport, you would think I was actually Pablo Escobar because I'm checking every every crevice <laughs> and every pocket for drugs. As, like, and it, there's no way they're ever going to be there. But I'm, Dang- I'm panicking. Dangerous on nothing to declare when they say, and you packed this yourself, did you? You think, no, I definitely did not. You better name <laughs> someone else now. No, no. You're throwing no, your mum under the bus. No, I'm going to make it for me. <laughs> well, when they say that, when they say you packed it for you, or this this lad I met in Thailand, like, do you know him? No, I don't know him. He just gave it. I didn't even look inside. <laughs> but if you were going to smuggle something, Australia is probably the last place you, you go to. I don't well, have no, desires I... to do it anyway, but that program has terrified me. No, countries in Asia are the last place you do it because, or the Middle East, because there's a lot of stuff they will bang you away for thirty years for, and some they will just kill you for. What? There was one I saw got caught on nothing to declare, and it wasn't the fact that they found the bags. 
because they they put some kind of concealer in there. It mm. was that they basically shit the bags out and they hadn't cleaned them off. They just put these shitty bags in their suitcase, <laughs> and the smell was what got them. <laughs> Oh, actually, the bag just smelled like that. They're going through the airport and the suitcase just stinks as shit. <laughs> I think you're somewhat guilty. Of, you, you deserve what you get at that point. <laughs> Take some care. Take some pride in your work. That's fucking amateur hours, to be honest, isn't it? Like, how few would you be if you, you just happened to be one of the few that stinks as shit? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you if you offered me... If you offered me thirty years in an Aussie jail, or that's that's the alternative, fuck it. <laughs> like I ain't going. I ain't. I, I ain't going to jail. I've seen. I've seen, <laughs> mate. It, these talking about nothing to Claire scaring you. These uh, these banged up abroads and all. Hey, <laughs> for me. Mm. Pick TK up on something he's mentioned there. Who are these people that just happen to stink <laughs> of shit? Because that, Tomo, that, is an, that is an affliction. You've definitely met someone who thought you stink of shit. Yeah, but I've assumed it's for good reason, not just they just happen to. That I is horrendous, if so. I just think some people just stank. <laughs> there's, there's once, and this is probably one of our worst ones, me and, me, and, me, and my, me and Rory are playing cards. And there's this old boy play, in the in the thing playing poker. I didn't realise it at the time, but Charlie's like, oh, I'm just going at Cersei. He's like, come back, and he actually just stank like shit. Like, <sighs> and we were like, oh, shit, he's old. I basically thought, oh, he's old. He must just shit himself. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, he's reached that age. He's just shit himself. Fine. Just like... He's two tables away from me, which is a fair couple of meters. You still smell it. You're like, fuck, this is grim. That's, that, then, that's his tactic. He just tilts everyone. By I was going to say, no, no. I well, thought Rory was going to claim credit for that. It, it's, it's working. It was working. People were like, fucking, this is disgraceful. So Stop throwing two, in the cards. No, I've got to get out of it. So, so only after about two hours, we realised he was actually just medically unwell, and then everyone like, collectively just felt terrible. It just, like, <laughs> just went silent for a couple of minutes. And it's like, oh, yeah. so. I've heard Charlie Sheen say that when you're on a roll, you don't leave the table for anything. If if you've got to shit yourself there, you mm. do it. I'm just never going to do that. You're not going to be that kind of roll, though, I imagine. No, that's true. I'm never going to bet high enough stakes to win that. But it would have to be... Like, if it was a decent wedge, like you've got to consider it, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> like, that's just the fact of life. How much are we talking? Like, what's the minimum you'd take to shit yourself <laughs> in public? I was just thinking that. I'm not sure I want to admit it because unless until I hear once he hits three figures, TK's done. <laughs> unless I hear a number from you both, I'm not going to shout mine out first because I feel like mine's either going to be way too much or embarrassingly low. It's definitely not middle ground. Is it total strangers just surrounded by? Like I'm talking Vegas. You're at a, you're at a craps table. It's going wild. You're 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 in line to win an amount, but you're desperate for a shit. But you've got to take this next roll of the dice. I think people give you some good grace in Vegas. They just kind of brush it off. Oh, it's Vegas. <laughs> Do they? <laughs> if you tell me you're in Swindon or Bristol, then I think it's worse. She's <laughs> in Warsaw Casino. Just fucking. <laughs> well, listen. You got to understand. There was five hundred quid on the table. I couldn't, I couldn't turn away. Like. Uh, I don't know. They, like my don't amount, blame don't... me. Blame him for tilting me. <laughs> I had that. five grand in my head, and I feel that like that's quite low. But I'd, I'd probably go to a grand, to be honest. If, yeah, if... I, I mine was genuine, mine was ten. But then, like mine, because it's the wonderful thing about doing any hypothetical with me with money is my number in a hypothetical scenario is is like fairly high. If you actually put me in that position and offer me <laughs> way less money, <laughs> I'm dealing out. I am can be haggled down quite quite yeah. quickly. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. 
if it was a room full of strangers, it was never seen again. None of them knew my name. You shot, yeah, he's too grand. Yeah, fucking right on. Yeah, if, yeah. If I'm remaking rounders, Teddy KGB definitely makes someone <laughs> shit themselves in the opening. That's like how we know <laughs> what a demon at the table he is. So, like, do you hear about Teddy KGB? He made a man shit. He actually just kept ramming Oreos down his throat till he shit himself. <laughs> you can believe it. He had pocket aces and he tilted him into shitting. <laughs> Ended up with a flush. <laughs> They're all weak. Excellent. Let's get back to uh, the dialogue in, in this film. The chuckle um, was so unnecessary, that. Yeah. That joke's just not great. He's went to move on and he's gone. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, I, thought I, was, I know I was, he's suppressing his delight there as well. Yeah, I, I know. know. I just, just had a little out. moment where I thought that conversation is so bizarre that maybe Tarantino's latest film, if you just put that in the middle of it, yeah, we've got yeah. some well, nerve really like, talking like about said, his Burger King. It's, it's the joy of podcasts. It's just, I mean, you you said interesting people. I don't know if we quite qualified, but but we are all on the way to kill someone. Shit. So <laughs> even so, um, I thought one of the most interesting things, and it it ties in. So I'm doing the callback as well with the amount of swearing in this film. Whether people would say that the dialogue perhaps isn't that intelligent. You've got these little things buried in, and I wrote this one down from when Butch gets back um, from killing a man in the ring to probably the most irritating person in the entire film. Oh, um, Lord. Honestly. And she says she's been looking in the mirror and she wants a pot belly. I can tell her for a start, it's not all it's cracked up to be. <laughs> but they have this back and forth where he ha- he says, you have one. And she says, if I if I had one, I'd wear a T-shirt two sizes too small to accentuate it. And then when she's looking in the mirror, she says, it's unfortunate what we find pleasing to the touch and pleasing to the eye are seldom the same. And it's just this little line in there that is actually quite a nice line buried in with all of this talk about the fact he's just killed a man. He's been talking about what it feels like to kill a man. And you have this in there that Tarantino is buried in amongst all of the rubble. And I guess it's why this film does so well. It's why it's revered in the way that it is. Because it is just so smooth the whole way through. Even the thing you said, the reference about the silence thing, it's quite a nice, yeah. I guess, kind of philosophical thing to say in amongst all the crazy ass shit <laughs> that's going on. I'd love a burger in that place, by the way. It's a nice little place to go out for some food in the evening. Mm. Menu looks good. Look at them burgers. I'll tell you, a $5 shake would hurt now, so I can understand his pain there. <laughs> yeah. That would really sting at that point. Well, that's the equivalent of the Five Guys one now, which when you're paying that much already, I've never had a Five Guys milkshake, but... Apparently seeing, they're brilliant. <clears throat> Excuse yeah, me, apparently they're great. Sean bought one after the races, and I was looking at it like, for a start, Oof. I'm not sure I want a milkshake after a day of that's drinking. That's timing. Oof, God, no. <laughs> but secondly... Mind you, before we went out on Saturday, when I just needed to get some food down me, in between, yeah, in between drinks, I got two sh- man, Um it, it was more of a, uh, if you don't go to an engagement party, then what excuse do you really have that can kind of stack up? And before that, it was if you don't go out for Father's Day. So it was very much a, uh, I had a good night, but didn't have too much of a choice. So Back in the I think after all these years. Well, I think, I think my brothers think that it's a regular occurrence now, and I do have to temper expectations. As I arrived, as I arrived, my dad said, uh, 
you know, I, I did invite you, but to be honest, I didn't expect you to be here. So, uh, oh, thanks a lot. Doesn't seem unfair. No, no it I doesn't. Seen, I mean, that is bang on. <laughs> From your own dad, it hurts a little bit more than it. Too, too, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a scene that was deleted from this that Tarantino said it just didn't fit in with the way it did because he felt it was too many references, which I didn't expect to hear from him. But Mia is questioning him and saying, are you an Elvis man or a Beatles man? And then she gets to the conclusion that he's obviously an Elvis man. And I think they reference that in one of the scenes that we do see at the table where she calls him Elvis or something like that. Mm. But I bet there was so much that got left on the cutting room floor by the fact you've got a two and a half hour film as it is. Mm. Yeah, I imagine. I imagine there is. What about you, boy? Elvis man or a Beatles man? Elvis. Yeah, me too. I appreciate everything the Beatles did because most of the bands that I like now have been ripping off for the last 60 years. But Beatles TK's most played on Spotify last year. Yeah, wild. I, I didn't even expect that. If you ask me Elvis, the Beatles or Gareth Gates... <laughs> we'll end the pod right now if you answer that one Look, horrifying you'd say minutes. Elvis but suspicious minds <laughs> I told you I thought he was the other one he did was it suspicious minds suspicious minds he did he did it for Lilo and Stitch <laughs> now if you ask TK, Lilo and Stitch or uh, Pulp Fiction I won't tell you I'm his answer dig- I'm not going to dignify that Keenan, not your favourite scene of the film, or it may well be. In what scene do you think is your favourite dialogue, your favourite conversation? Is it the Royale scene? Is it them in the hotel room? What is it? I'd probably say what again, motherfucker. So <laughs> <laughs> um, I do, do quite like the opening. The little, I know you refer to it as the most annoying woman, woman in the in the film, but a little bit in the diner when she starts shouting always. No, not her, not her. I mean, oh, his girlfriend. Oh, sorry. The one who forgets the watch that's sitting yeah. there. My bad. Um, I don't know. I don't know what best part. Like, I think it's just, for me, it's like any Tarantino thing. It's the little snippets you pick up and you pick up and put down. Sometimes it's the one-liners or it's just the, the little seven-second back and forth that just, just resonate. I mean, back at the job we both used to have, where we were speaking people on the speaking to people on the phones all day. Mm. English motherfucker, do you speak it? Probably would have been <laughs> something you could have said about seven or eight times a day. Mm. Great way to get a P forty five if you're going for it. <laughs> yeah, it's a seven or eight, maybe two or three, and then you get sacked. <laughs> yeah. Two well, people that two people that do very clearly speak English, by the way. I don't want any. <laughs> Uh, misconceptions there. These weren't foreign people phoning up. I was wanting to say this to. Oh, I honestly assume that's where you were going with it. But no, some of these uh, financial advisors. Oh my Jesus! I say this: someone at the place you used to work did commit a crime and then get promoted. So I, I say this: you probably survive it, actually. <laughs> yeah, well, we, we committed we don't... a crime and then got promoted. Yeah, we, we don't name them directly. That is quite literally the only thing I can say, I guess. But male or female? Because I've got two in mind. Uh, female. I can see that. I think I know this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, um, yeah I'm with you. the split of the film here, something 
that we've seen go horribly wrong at times, something that you really do have to nail for the film to work and just to not be criticised for that very thing. You can have three great parts, but if he's chopped it up the wrong way, that's going to be the thing that people take away. Now, he wrote two of the three stories before Reservoir Dogs and True Romance, and then those two films did so well, I think he kind of did some reflection, maybe I'm onto something, and so decided to write a third story. His intention was that each segment would be directed by a different person and then he would combine them to a film and you'd have these three people's different interpretations. In the end, he decides that he can do a better job than uh, anyone else and we do get what we get. But We've done The Godfather Part 2 on here and when you looked at the reviews, as much as we were able to break it down, there was some criticism that people found it hard to follow with the back and forth. Now, we're not going back 50 years in some of these instances, but I almost feel like you don't even need to piece this whole thing together cleanly. Like, you ultimately just need to keep up with what each character wants, but there isn't really uh, some major plot points that you need to get to get from part A to part B. You've got the front end and the back end, that you get a kind of like nod to yourself moment. Okay, this is quite cool. And you see where everything works, but it's not a particularly hard one to follow, is it? No, no, I don't think so. I, uh, <clears throat> I'm very glad he decided to bomb that idea of three different directors. You talk about mm. cutting up badly. Yeah. That just, that just ended up going so wrong, doesn't it? I just like, you could just it just ended. I think it just ended up being so jarring if you like, depending on who you had. Rodriguez well, does come in almost, and direct some of this as well, by the way, as he, as him and uh, Tarantino do for each other. Yeah, but they're, they're not interchangeable, but they are. Uh. Based, they are. If you think of one, you often think you often think automatically of the other, don't you? Go on, Seek. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, sorry. It's, it's, the way it's set currently is almost like a, a sketch show, isn't it? It's almost it's different things going on. You don't need to sort of, so you know there's links between them, and you don't need to go. Oh, and I want a more linear sort of progression. It's kind of you can accept where these things are. It's not too hard to get your head around. No, a a, a seemingly uh, chronological version of the film was put up on YouTube once. Now this is very much uh, internet talk, but from what looked to be an official account, whether it was a Tarantino edit or it was someone involved with the film or just someone that had a fan edit and just made everything look very good. But it was up for less than a day and has been taken down. And I don't know what year it went up that there isn't a copy of this there. But there are people that say, look, if you watch from this minute to this minute, then this minute to this minute. But I've not done it that way. Do you think that would detract from the film if you did watch everything in chronological order? If I had to do it the way you've just described, rather than a, no, a if I gave edit. you it, if I gave you uh, a file, you plug it into your TV, and you've got oh, a well, film it's already been edited back. for me. Yeah, um, it's a strange thing because I'd have to watch it to tell you whether or not it detracts from it. I'd be interested to do it. I don't think yeah, in a, I don't think it would enhance it because the, the way it ends is probably pretty perfect. So yeah. I, my intrigue would probably mean that until I'd watched it, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know. Like automatically, no, it doesn't necessarily detract from it, whether it's any better or not. Like TK says, you won't, you wouldn't know unless you did it. But it, it might. I'd definitely be interested to see 
how different it feels because obviously when you chop yeah. around the scenes the feet the feel and the the feel of the film obviously just like in tone and stuff changes as well doesn't it it's going to be darker yeah. for long for short and periods of time presumably one of the last ones yeah. would probably be like vincent getting shot for example yeah so yeah. if you're finishing on that you'd be like oh yeah. god so it's going to be it's going to be lighter for periods of time darker for periods of time it's it would be odd well, there's uh, a weird feeling that jules and vincent have kind of got away with it at the end and it's like Obviously, we know that certainly one of them has yeah. it. A question I've asked you a couple of times in uh, previous weeks, Keenan, and I know you're a big fan of the question. Oh, no. I don't If you think there's any kind of message to this what film no, that's being no, put out by Tarantino, <laughs> it's a well to find it is? I, no, I physically don't think there's a message in this film. Right? Well, there it's is. Tarantino's you. said what it is. I just wonder what you take from the film. What, what What's Tarantino's message? If I asked you to describe the message of this film in one word, how would you describe it? It's technically two words, but not applicable. What does he do, this TK? I mean, in fairness, I, I would have said the message is there's no message. If I was Thank having you. a pun, Thank there you. is. Thank you. Thank you, TK. It's almost like I'm not the bad guy. The message is salvation. Is it? Is it? Has he got a. Does he elaborate on this? He says you've got the three parts of the anthology and you're seeing the salvation of Pumpkin and Honey Bunny, the salvation of Jules, and the salvation of Butch and Fabian. What a load of shite. You are ignoring people that do not experience salvation in the film as well. Hey, it's not me ignoring it. It's, it's Tarantino. I was talking to you as you as if you were Quentin. I don't think we're going to get him on. So you are now hey. Quentin Tarantino for this section, okay? I didn't think we'd get John Heder on, and I'd say they're a similar level. Mm. But Dobkin is similar level in my mind, so... Yep, yep. If you have the oranges as a sign of misfortune in The Godfather, Tarantino says his version in this film is Vincent going to the bathroom. Upon his exiting, every time he comes back, something bad has happened. Mia overdosing, pumpkin and honey bunny robbing the restaurant, and but shooting him. We're back to the old man at the poker table again. He just didn't want to go away. Something bad <laughs> was going to happen. Just had to shit his pants. Joe, I don't know if I've ever watched a film and taken a message away from it. <laughs> well, I'd like you sure. to start. I'm, Surely now, the other film one. we did today, there must have been some level of message. <laughs> no, but like not in the way that not like he wants it. The message in American History X is racist and dicks. The film didn't yeah. teach me that. From yeah, it, yeah. Like, I've, I've never learned, I've never taken a message that it, I've never watched it because like, oh, it's changed my or this salvation. Like the message in American History X is people who are racist, typically dicks. Yeah. <laughs> Moving forward, I'd like you to think of one word to uh, as the message from each of them, and I'll ask you each week. That's you our don't new want, feature. You don't, you don't want this, because we're, <laughs> we're inevitably going to fall I'm out. I'm going to make a jingle for it. Okay. <laughs> we're inevitably going to fall out. You'll build, please do make a jingle, because you can build any sense of climax for me to ruin it. That will well, be, we're going to get TK singing the hook. <laughs> it but, will be great if you know, it does have one film, though, where it does, like, fucking hell, this changed my entire... <laughs> Inside where I think about everything. It's be some random know. film. Told him before. Like, what message you take to American Pie? I didn't <laughs> I I didn't didn't 
didn't study media studies at school, so not all of us learn about this. Mm. The the visual medium, just don't, I don't watch it that deeply. Just, it's not that deep, bro. Yeah, my, my that's just not the, not the way the old brain's wired. Okay, I'll I'll approach it from a different direction then, because Tarantino, when asked why people like this film so much, funny, it's quick, people he, people get shot. He like, quoted classic Hollywood director Howard Hawks, whose definition of a good movie was three good scenes and no bad scenes. Okay. Now you can take that, I guess, as the three parts of this, or if you want to just say you've got more than three good scenes in this and I can't think of a bad scene. So I was going to say, three would be selling it short, this, wouldn't it? So that's why it's a good film. But he never said it wasn't a good film. I don't know. I'm that's saying also, Tarantino was asked why it's a good film. That's oh, also we one of about those... your, You were talking about your insistence of there being a deeper meaning to fucking everything. No, I said if you want to look at it a different way and that's a far simpler way to look at it. When you're looking at it, that is... Don't do any bad scenes is essentially the instruction there. Yeah. It's a little bit like when you know when they did it was like Pep's football, is like, well, basically his thing is keep the ball and when you lose the ball, you win it back. Like, well, yeah, everyone's trying to do that. No one wants to do a bad scene. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Well, that is literally it, isn't it? Well, I think you could both think of one. So I'll ask you the question. You can tell me the first one that comes to mind. Are there any films you know that are good films that have more bad scenes than good scenes? No, that's obvious, isn't it? Go on. No, but I mean, if it's a good film, it's not going to have more bad scenes than good, is it? That's just. I'm saying, obvious. can you think of a a good film that does have more bad scenes than good? No, no, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> what, what think, he's saying I think is, there's if more bad film. scenes than good in Football Factory and Green Street. Okay. Yeah, again, sorry. I think in Green Street more so than Football Factory, but I'll apply it to both. I think there's more bad scenes than more good. More bad than good. I disagree. I get the point you're making there, but I still think the good does outweigh the bad. I mean, with with football factory, a the good weights out bad, but the, with footy factory, I actually don't think there's that many bad scenes because it fucking it makes me laugh for two hours straight. So <laughs> or however long it's on. So we'll move you, on. You, your on. point is right there that you probably could find a film of that ilk. Where I would probably go with you. Where you go when you break it down by number, you probably go. There's only a handful of good scenes here, but I still like it. Oh, actually, yeah, three no. double D. No, no, no. <laughs> I, um, I actually will. I will say basically because I actually like them as much. Uh, barring the second one, as much. And I was like, I know what you're about to say, and let's move on. Yeah, I know what it. you're about to say. You've got it. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they do actually just have bad scene after bad scene, but somehow they just end up fucking. I do end up with good films. I, I think the I think the business has more bad scenes than good. I disagree with that as well, but but yeah, Rise of the Foot Soldier. I do so, yeah. <laughs> I say, unreal. Just like mainly three and four. Waiting to waiting to see number five. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not paying for it. I'm not desperate. But I'll be out on time soon enough. Um, Bruce Willis only worked on this film for 18 days. That's great work. What else was he doing at the time? You know? No, but. Tarantino thinks that he was saving him here. We had a critic review. To do, is he not just about to do Die Hard 3? Well, he, he's, was it him that said it or was it someone else that said it? That effectively this film saved him from just being John McClane. Maybe. I mean, he does Armageddon a couple of years later. That's pretty big for him. Nice. 
Well, that's a that's a film that huge at the time has aged horribly in people's minds. Uh, I can't remember the last time I watched it. Yeah, saved by the soundtrack, that one. Um, saved, by, saved by Steve Buscemi. Boy. That's the one where is that is it Ben Stiller who gets absolutely battered and there's a, and then does the DVD commentary for it. Not Ben Stiller, know, Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck is in Armageddon. Someone does the DVD commentary on Armageddon and they're absolutely battered and they're just ripping the film apart. What, just like Outlaw, like Blinder? Yeah. Sounds like, like Saying about why, which, what wouldn't work and like just cracking up about why the hell are we doing this? <laughs> <laughs> it could you be can find it all on YouTube. He was honestly living a great time. He still is. Yeah, fair. Went away, shacked up with Ana Diarmas for a year or so, and then went back to Jennifer Lopez. Bad call, I maintain. This was one of the first films to use the internet for advertising. And when you look at old adverts, I imagine that was just a little pop-up of Uma Thurman. Presumably. Yeah. What do you think about the marketing for this? Do you, do you think when you look at who the main characters in this film are, who the screen time dominant is dominated by. I think it's weird that Uma Thurman is front and centre on the poster. No. I don't. A, because it's a... Well, it's just, I suppose actually I'm, I'm in hindsight, aren't I? Say you would say it's, like, it's an iconic poster. It, it is, but it, obviously I don't know if it fit at the time. I actually really, I actually think the poster's meant. I love the red. It is. You also don't get anything about the film from the poster, do you? No, it's very. No. Um, it very much reminds me of almost like your cinema noir, like your old detective films, the way the poster's mm. set, and it's almost like the right, the way the post, the writing juts juts out from the poster. Fuck, I'm no good at this stuff. I know what I'm trying to describe. I appreciate the effort. I don't have the words to do it. I could I could give you examples, but when we're in a when we're speaking, it's not great. Yeah. Um, that's just a, another bit of trivia. So, according to Phil Lamar. It was John Travolta who came up with the idea of Marvin being shot in the face. He says that Marvin was originally supposed to be accidentally shot in the throat and die a slow, painful death, with Vincent and Jules going back and forth deciding on whether he'd be shot, whether he should be shot in the head and put out of his misery. Which, knowing that, I can completely picture that scene playing out and how Tarantino would have done it. Oh, I think it would be very good. Travolta's argument was that this would have made the characters completely unlikable in a film where they're doing bad things, but ultimately they're seen as likable characters by the audience that are watching it. And he said he took it to Tarantino, explained his point. Tarantino agreed and said that just a single bullet kill out of nowhere would be funnier. And then they'd still get away with having the characters seen in the light that they are. I don't know if it, I don't know if it would have been, I don't know if it's funnier. But I think that depends on your own sense of humour, doesn't it? So He's stupid. probably right. You'd be looking at them a bit darker. Sorry, I was going to say, those two bickering about the mercy kill. See, I think that'd be quite funny. Yeah, yeah, that is true, actually. But I do understand, I do understand the point. The, the snap of the shot is like where it's just, bang, what happened to Marvin is, is, is very good. It's so perfect for Travolta where he just keeps fucking up and is seemingly just spiralling to becoming more and more, <laughs> stu- more stupid as this comes on. Him him in this film, we went through a load of casting. Do you think there's anyone else that could have done it in the way that he does? 
Or if you he, switch him out, would you need to switch Samuel L. Jackson out as well to find the right balance? No, I don't know. It depends on who it depends on who you put in them. I don't think it's an automatic two for two. I want to tell you, Daniel Day Lewis was begging for the role, Keenan. I'm glad they didn't give it to Daniel Day Lewis. No, but we were saying that's a big call for Tarantino to say, no, Daniel Day Lewis, I want John Travolta. I think whoever you swap Travolta out for, you're either going to get significantly more serious or significantly more slapstick funny. But he's just that, that in between, he's just that middle ground. No, he's somehow somehow cool. Mm. I'm just. Like horrifically uncool all at the same time. Yeah, yeah. He just manages to like you watch him stroll around. And he looks great, and then as soon as he not str- yeah, you watch it. He almost like swaggers around, and then as soon as he actually has to do something or open his mouth, it just falls apart. Sounds bad, but he's even at a sort of stage of his life, and in terms of how, like how he looks and his build and everything, where it kind of works that way as well. Where he's not Playing a heroin addict. <laughs> where he's not stupidly like he's not stupidly cool or suave or yeah. good looking. Yeah. But he's not too much the other way either. He's just in that somewhere in between. Yeah, he's he's yeah, he's a little bit older, but at the end of the day, he's still John Travolta. Yeah, once upon a time, this guy was probably quite handsome, whatever. But now he is what he is. Yeah. Uma Thurman said that the most nervous she was about accepting the film and filming it was having to dance with Travolta, and she said she kind of had a quiet word in his ear before they filmed the scene and told her how she was feeling and that she was so nervous. And she said he told her to just shut the fuck up and twist. And then <laughs> you get the scene that you see. I wonder how he said it. I, I think he probably smiled after. Yeah. Tone is important there, yeah, for sure. Yeah, tone, tone and uh, facial expression are very important. See, if he just looks at dead in the eyes, he's like, shut the fuck up and twist. Away. Like, it's not great. Um. Just before we move on then, so the, the question I have down at the end, and it's the question that Tarantino was asked uh, to look back in, if he could give an answer. Why is Pulp Fiction so loved? A film that the content should be enough to put so many people off. Why is it that, one, it's aged so well, and the opinion of it seems to just be growing over time, if anything? See, I think it's more love now than, obviously I missed the reviews and stuff, but I think it's more love now than it was, because for, for ages... I think it's our generation, genuinely, that brought it to, not the mainstream, but certainly closer to, because for a while it was the mainstream. just described, described as a, it was a cult film. It was Tarantino's, in all of Tarantino's films until Kill Bill were somewhat cult films, but um, for a while it was like a cult film. But the main thing at the time was it. just that it was different. It came out yeah. at the same time as Shawshank and uh, The Lion King and Forrest Gump. 94, great year overall. Yeah. Came out the same day as Shawshank. That's a tough opening, that is. And Forrest Gump was out that week as well. That is like, that is like, Nor- that is like Norwich going yeah. to City away on the first day. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. But it worked in its favour, they said. And so do you think that's part of it? Because as much as people have tried to kind of imitate it, there is still nothing that gives you that same feel. Independent cinema is different these days, though, isn't it? And it's been different for a very long time. I mean, it goes, it does go through waves. You had the independence wave of the 60s and 70s and then moved towards mm. more of the studio stuff in the 80s, and then back to an independent scene and so on, or more of an independent scene to where we stand now. So I think it, it, it has its waves and has its troughs. It was just, it was of its, of its time. Um, definitely. And I think, again, Shawshank, you know, I understand why it being different helped. 
because it has that independent. I don't. I'm not sure if the word for for the the people would have been hipsters in the nineties, but whatever the nineties equivalent were. And that helps it, doesn't it? Because if something yeah. is like born in that way and then grows, you yeah. kind of feel like you're in on it. It's like a, a, again, yeah, a yeah. band a band when they were like smaller and then they get big. Yeah, mm-hmm. everybody still feels like this about this, even though you know by the time we've come to watch it, we probably I'm sure there's obviously there's millions will have watched it prior, but yeah, you still feel like you're kind of in on something. Uh, I watched it during uh, the first lockdown just because there was nothing oh, on. Right. So I watched this um, and Inglorious Bastards, I think, within a couple of days of each other. No Reservoir Dogs? No room for your mouth? I'd already seen that. I've not seen it, but Top Gun Maverick has received props for essentially knowing exactly what their audience wanted to see and just giving it to them which is somewhat of a rarity in the directors like to do their own thing. Do you think after penning Reservoir Dogs and True Romance, do you think Tarantino just has the best grasp at that point of what people do want from him? He just is just sussed out, this is what people want to see from me. I don't know about now. I think, what's his next film after this? I always forget one. Jackie Brown, maybe not, maybe even after Jackie Brown. So what does it go? This Jackie Brown, what does it go? This Reservoir Dogs, Jackie Brown. Reservoir Dogs, this Jackie Brown. I think Reservoir Dogs and True Romance are both before this. That's what I'm yeah, saying. Sorry, that, was, that was my question. Oh, I couldn't remember, to be honest with you. I'll yeah, probably yeah they are. They're both before. But then after Jackie Brown, what is it? Kill Bill? Kill Bill? Kill Bill, one. Yeah, yeah it's a big high. He's, he's got a bit of a gap, doesn't he? I think he does a bit mm. with Rod, Robert Rodriguez and stuff. But I think he then comes back for, for Kill Bill. I think by the time he hits Kill Bill, that's when he's figured out exactly what people want from him. You can change the setting, you can change X, Y, and Z, but as long as it's got this, 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 and this, I'm good. It is. Probably help. This this does help set his standard a lot, but I do think it's a little bit later that he's figured it out. In, In terms of just the speech that you do have in this, do you think it is the best that you've got? I would probably put it alongside Django. But this, this just, I think, has brings the most smile to your face, really, in just listening to these people speak the whole way through the film. And I think that's really why it is so loved, because I think for all of the things you do go over in this, and I mean, you have a fairly brutal rape in the middle of this. You've got multiple deaths. You've got the timeline going back and forth. You've got plenty of shouting, plenty of screaming. You've got an overdose in there you were all sorts of this and yet still it feels like an easy watch yeah 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 you're absolutely right and i think that's maybe the best thing about it is it's got the rewatchability factor and it's quite an easy one to introduce to someone else because you kind of will just stick it on Mm. and you i think it passes the test if you were to say to someone well just give it 10 minutes if you don't like it after 10 minutes turn it off just stick it on and i think it just gets you from the start you're charmed by these people and then you're in. I think it so has. You can easily just keep going with it. The other rewatchable test is still directly from someone else. So could do with this this little snippet as you will. Bye. Um, I think the ten minute test. I reckon you could shove it on at any ten minutes during the film. Yeah. And someone will be like, "Yeah, I'll right, call cool, in. I'll, I'll I'll see what happens next." What do you think is the best part of the film? Scene wise, or just Not the best? What's your favourite? You I... can. You can be creative with this. You can whether it's a really small piece or whether it is a whole uh, segment of the film. 
No, no, mine is mine runs throughout. It's the way it is just the dialogue that's weaved into it. For all this stuff that happens, you know, people getting shot and stuff. When I think about this film, I basically think about people talking. Yeah. I you asked Keen earlier about his favourite interaction. I think anything where Jules and Vincent are together yeah. is it for me, whereas you can go the early one with obviously um finishes up with uh Jules obviously doing his speech and shooting him. Or later on with cleaning up the car with the wolf arriving or whatever. I think and Tarantino in there, who's actually great for his little cameo. Mm. Any of the, the, those bits, those are where I think the magic of the film is probably sealed. All the other stuff is fantastic, but I think they're the, the icing on the cake. Yeah, and Penny... I don't know if you did before, but we haven't even, even discussed Winston Wolf. No, I, I do have a note about that in a moment, and I think I, I annoy you, Keenan, but I'll s- s- say anyway. I have some controversial thoughts on the wolf. <laughs> oh, oh, well. I was going to say, is is there anything more Tarantino than the fact that he has penned his own Bible passage in this? Like, I looked up to see how much of it is legit, and there is one sentence that he's actually <laughs> taken from it. The rest, the rest, to go in line with uh, what's a criticism of Tarantino, I guess, he's lifted from a film that's from like the 30s. And then he's just kind of moved some bits around in there and thought, this sounds cool. And moved it that way it just feels very much in his wheelhouse to be writing his own bible passages well look maybe he's just being careful look it's like, i don't want to plagiarize the bible so i'll, I'll put my <laughs> own spin on it these people get very litigious so we've got to be careful i will steal anything but not from god exactly. <laughs> yeah exactly before we talk about the wolf i wrote down just in my notes and i think i texted it to tk maybe while watching i think it has the ease of watching almost like a TV show you're binging where you just, I'll oh, just, I'll oh, just stick one more episode on. I don't think it feels like you are sitting through a two and a half hour long film. No, not at all. I think it does, but not in a bad way, but that's just because I don't know. Feel is probably the wrong word. I, if I sat, when I sat down to watch it, I, at the end of it, I knew it was a two and a half hour film, okay. but not in a negative way. I feel like you know that about any two and a half hour film, wouldn't you? I guess Let's, the thing you say about you can obviously take any 10 minutes. You could probably jump out and come back at any point. Yeah, yeah. I, I, think this, you, I think whereas you most, could. most films are this length. You know, right, I've got to stick with the whole thing. I can't just jump back yep. in. It doesn't really work. No, I think you're, you make a very good point. I think you definitely could walk away for 20 minutes, come back and go, oh, okay, I'm here. Now. Yeah, yeah. If we do talk about The Wolf, um, TK... Where do you think his peak was here or the direct line adverts? <laughs> I guess at least that brought him back to the masses, I guess. But that, was, that must have been a pretty tough time. Harvey uh, must have been running out of money or something. Don't know. When I saw those adverts, oh. and I think I said this um, previously, I thought it was just a knockoff of The Godfather. I thought it was just a Mickey take because I didn't know what Winston right, was. Right. And then seeing the film, okay, that's quite cool. Because so they even the have the same soundtrack, don't pre they? The film. Yeah, I saw the direct line adverts before the film, yeah. Oh, fantastic. And, I, and so even then, because you got the same music in it at the mm-hmm. end of uh, the direct line adverts, everything <laughs> kind of came to me at once. <laughs> the thing with that is, what ad guy at direct line had the fucking audacity to get, you know what, <laughs> I've got this idea and I think we can get him on board. I want to know what the, I want to know how many zeros are on that page, that's yeah, one that's... where he probably negotiated it 
assuming this was just never going to get completed and then he has to go to his boss and go I've got a great idea here but we're going to have to stretch the budget <laughs> put him out of business like, it's so British as well like yeah yeah because it's not like it's not like he's doing a Samsung advert where you bang it overseas and it's international that is literally it's just a British market <laughs> and it's a British market that just got fucking like a thousand competitors so like I don't know a how effective it was. I mean, I, I think it's, I think it's great, but don't know a how effective it was. But also, you're probably paying a lot for ultimately somewhat limited returns. Yeah, like how much new business are you getting off the back of it? You're probably just getting a lot of people saying, "Oh, this is a fun advert," and yeah. we've had to spunk a load of money on getting them in. We were happy for any adverts after we saw the back of the Go Compare Man, who they tried bringing back, and that horrible phase where Chir- the Churchill dog was just you couldn't escape him. So mm. I think this was oh, a nice yeah. change. Yeah. yeah. The Go Compare Man had just, death threats and came back. You think that is some wherewithal you've got there. I don't know if you missed it. I think Keenan has just done a half-hearted Churchill impression and then I pulled did. out of it. Yeah, it wasn't half-hearted. I just pulled I, particularly it sounded loud. like you pulled out part way through, like you had no, second no. guesses. No, no, it just was... Well, it's, I mean, it's, it's two words. What do you want me to do? I'm not, it's not a monologue, is it? I thought you got it rephrase right that and say you pulled out a Churchill a dog. PK, what's what's your controversial you. take on the wolf? Well, to start, I'll give, I'll give him his respect that as soon as he gets referenced, I get hyped immediately. It's like, the wolf's coming. Oh, shit, the wolf's coming. <laughs> but when you break it down, don't just tell them to clean up. <laughs> just, go, just go and bleach the car. Just go, you know what? You can't walk around with blood all over you. Get yourselves cleaned up as well. That is literally all he does. So I mean, he's a motivator. He d- yeah, he does it with a level of authority and speed, I would admit. But that is it. Look, they're, they're panicking. He comes in, level up. It's true. It's the equivalent of bring it, bringing on a defensive midfielder just to shorter game up. <laughs> Get a foot on the ball, bit of composure yeah, in there. It. Yeah, that's all it is. Just change the midfielder, keep your foot on the ball, keep it keep it moving. That's all it is. Do you it's think- true, because Jules and Vincent are just bombing on without any regard. Yeah. For getting <laughs> they're back, get, they're getting overrun. They are getting overrun <laughs> in that middle. Do you think they sell the wolf better than Leguizamo sells John Wick in the first one? Because they give him the the, the full hype to get everyone terrified as to what kind of job John Wick can do. Mm. And you're saying here that, that the wolf doesn't actually do that much. But the way he's sold, you bring the wolf in. Have they done a better marketing job? Uh, they've done a lot more with a lot less. Yeah, I mean, John Wick does justify the hype. I can't argue. <laughs> it's not, John Wick is in no way a hype job. He does walk through the Russian mafia, followed That's by the I Russian mean. mafia. So you don't pull him. You don't pull him up on it. So you said John Wick was a bad man. What the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. Where was He's a pencil? pussy. Where was the pencil? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in that scene, who, who do you want Winston Wolf to take the pencil to? Surely it's not not the boys Jules, Jules and Vincent. And that could probably be a good cleanup job if the Wolf was employed by John Wick. Just going yeah. after he's finished his business. Yeah, if I'm oh, retiring, I'm done. Oh shit! A few years down the line, direct line are going to get John Wick in a pet, pet insurance <laughs> advert, aren't they? Oh god, insure your dog. <laughs> the life insurance one. Instead of you getting a free Parker pen, John Wick offers you a pencil. <laughs> a lot cheaper as well. So, if you're in trouble, TK, the wolf, you think he's not making too much of a difference for you. Oh, I would, I would still absolutely uh, employer services. He's, but I'm just saying, when you, when you look in the cold light of day, 
he's just applying some common sense to the scenario. So I'm hoping I'm never in a position to need a cleanup crew, but <laughs> well, the two I mean, of them have been in situations before you'd imagine Vincent yeah. and Jules, where they have had to do some kind of cleanup operation before. Do you think same situation? If you take any two of the three of us, and you have to make the call to Winston Wolf, is he that good of a delegator that he can get the same job done? I think Winston Wolf would hate you. <laughs> <laughs> I think you'd be take. I think you'd be taking on very much the uh, the Vincent approach of well, look, I don't want him being rude to me. <laughs> All right, well, let's go the opposite way then. So I'm in the back of the car. TK's driving. You're dead. Ian doesn't have the safety on. Do you think Winston Wolf has enough about him to get you two to clean me up? It's a big mess. I'm backing him. No need for that. <laughs> Sorry. It's very easy. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't uh, be shy about getting in there and getting that brains out there either. I'd be more than fine. I mean, I think he could give us the same instruction because the instructions, as TK says, are very simple. It's the level to it's the level of thoroughness to which they're carried out really makes or breaks this plan. Like how clean are you cleaning it? Is basically what it comes down to. You might walk out if I'm Tarantino in that situation, and I'm telling him, "Just coming home in half an hour. (laughs) Hurry up!" You know what? This ain't worth it. I tell you that. Not worth my time. I was all in with Vincent on that, where he's talking about the great introduction to this. He's just telling him, I just think he should soften his disposition. <laughs> he's furious that Jimmy isn't happy that they've brought a dead body to his house. But then Jimmy's got, his only concern is that he's going to get a divorce. There's no mention of the police. He's just, oh, the wife's going to go mad. And the yeah, sheets. If, Those are expensive sheets. <laughs> presumably. That's so good. He's involved enough that they're comfortable taking a body to his house. It is really what art boils down to. They're, Look, they, they're, he's, they're comfortable enough that they know there's no comeback. So he can't to be Vincent, about it. He's got people everywhere where he's like, you know, woman's o- overdosed. I know where to take her. I know a guy Bobby. Body in the back of a car. Where are we? Okay, I know where to take us. It's a pretty good implication that he's not spoke to Jimmy in a while either. So this is quite... A, <laughs> I, know he's not, I know we haven't caught up in a while, but come on. Yeah, I feel like the dealer, that's like... Part and parcel. You're making good money out of this. Every so often, you should have to deal with an OD. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's more than fair. Him being maybe the least dangerous person in the entire film is quite something as well. (laughs) I I do wish we could have seen Buscemi doing that, though. The fact it was supposed to be him. I imagine he'd have been freaking out a bit more in the same way that uh, Tarantino's a bit more whingy. I think Buscemi would have played it... um, yeah, yeah, agreed. I can't think of a character he's done that I would initially uh, compare it to, but you know what I mean. His character in Fargo would essentially be this. I don't know if you've seen that, but he would no. be perfect for it. Never seen Fargo. It's it's quintessential Buscemi in that film. He's great. Before we go on to uh, American History X, now, if I ask you which character you care about the most and which character you care about the least... Go to you first, Keenan. Care about the most? Possibly Jules. Do like so. A lot of that is just down to Samuel L. Jackson, though. And what about least? <sighs> Jimmy, I can take or leave, to be fair. I'm <laughs> really little bitch, Jimmy. Yeah, he does <laughs> whine a lot. Honey Bunny, I could. I'm probably. I don't want to say do without, because. Well, but 
not not overly fussed on. What about you, TK? Yeah, Honey Bunny's not a bad shot for the least because she's really like that bit of the diner at the end. I'm like, someone shoot her. Someone's like, <laughs> yeah, crouch, do my head it. At some point, you are just thinking, just shut the fuck up. If you can Tim Roth, you know what? You can move on and get someone else, I think. Um, I guess mine is pretty simple. I'd say care most about, I do really want Butch to get away. So I guess he probably has to go in there. Uh, at least it's Bird. I absolutely yeah. hate it. Yeah. If, he, if you go through what you've been through if you're in his shoes and she comes back and there's that bit where he's like, we've got to go and she's like just standing there crying, hanging Where around. Where did you like, get that bike? We've, we've got to go. Yeah, don't be asking questions now. I just told you I've killed someone earlier in the day. You get the fuck out of here. Have you ever had blueberry pancakes? I wonder where that was going. Christ. Um, <laughs> I've not. I after hearing her say about them, I did really, I did really want some blueberry pancakes. I've always heard that as reference as like the last meal for someone on death row. So I don't think I'll be able to eat them without thinking this could be my last meal. I remember seeing a tweet where someone claimed they'd found a life hack by my my last meal on death row would be cereal and I just keep adding milk as if by within about an hour you wouldn't say just take me. I've had enough. <laughs> Three quarters away from a box. Yeah. I can't. I can't have any more. Come on, please take me to the chair. Some more sugar for my rice krispies. I realise we've not said much about uh, Bruce Willis, but I am conscious we do have a another film to get into, so we may have to rely on that getting through to the second round. It, it'll have to put up a good performance in the judging, and uh, maybe Bruce gets more of a go next time around. Let's move on to American History X. Critics proclaim American History X is bound to be an Oscar contender. All that anger, all that hate, I don't want it anymore. Siskel and Ebert give it two thumbs up. Well, I came to talk about Danny. He's headed right where you are. Edward Norton gives a blistering, brilliant performance. I am out, and Danny is out too. Extremely powerful and superbly performed. I love you, and you're my best friend, but I need you to understand. American History X rated R. Starts Friday everywhere. A former neo-Nazi skinhead tries to prevent his younger brother from going down the same wrong path that he did. Keenan, what do you think the critics thought of this? Uh, they loved it. American History X advocates that those who ignore history are doomed to repeat it. It's a powerful social document and should be part of everyone's film-watching curriculum. Now, I saw this one and had to take it down because it was a throwback, really, to the same reviews we've complained about seeing previously. TK, uh, this review, this dark drama is not for kids. <laughs> what? Who pays these people to leave these reviews? It's not those twins again that you're talking about, is it? Christ. That's Friday afternoon. What can I... Not for kids. And the editor's gone, that, I don't know how you do it. That is a fantastic review. Some of the language in this one. Oh, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> As if you're a blockbuster with, with your mum when you're like 10 and you're going, well, that's what's it. This looks good. It's kind of, well, it doesn't say it's not for kids. <laughs> I don't know Nazi what about this. Nazi charming me. Yeah, don't know what the swastika and skinheads. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know if I had it didn't scare me off. Weird. Norton delivers a disturbing, heartfelt and ultimately heartbreaking performance. We get that racism is bad. American History X works because it risks showing us why some people believe it's good. 
I'm not, I'm not quite sure why it, that's why it works, but I've got a bit more on that later. So, um, and finally, that, review, that reviewer had some force to go off his chin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's not uh, allowed anymore. Yeah, that's uh, that's he's tiptoed a couple of lines there, to be honest with you. I don't believe these things, but some people, <laughs> some people, got, some people really think them. <laughs> yeah, Norton is by turns frightening and heartbreaking, angry and serene. I don't think I've ever seen a character in film with a more believably wide range. Now, obviously, they didn't see Sandler, and that's my boy. <laughs> I actually have a question for you about Ed Norton, Byron. When you when you when you finished up. I've got a little uh, segment on him, so if you save it seven minutes-ish. Very precise. Yeah, yeah. I'm just looking at how much notes I've got. Um, let's start with casting. Ed Norton turned down Saving Private Ryan to do this film. That's such a bold Yeah, I've got to think he, he didn't have the same role. I think I read previously he may have had Tom Sizemore's role in that, but so I can't a... tell you that for fact. It's it's irrelevant because just taking this on, there's there's a big chance this is this goes down. Could, could kill your career. The man backs himself. I think he's back in the film more than anything else. But it's just there is a chance this just goes so badly wrong. Well, we had it yeah. with we had it with rounders, didn't we? And I know they're very different films, but <laughs> it it was him that he was partially being advised. Like, you sure you want to take this film? That you're in a good place at the moment. And once he'd read the script, he was like, no, absolutely. And he got the director around his house to sell why he could do the film. Oh, listen, I love me some rounders, but if he turned down Saving Private Ryan for it, I'd probably go, I think you may, <laughs> you may need some different career advice, son. He did. That's straight out of Fight Club, isn't it? He did rounders, Keenan. Yeah. Is this, is this, this is pre, right? This is 98. Yeah, I thought it was only does 99, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's good 99. To be what a run. And then rounders is 2000, isn't it? Yeah. 99 or 2000. There he does fucking. Not as celebrated a film, but in terms of money and box office and stuff, he does Red Hannibal Dragon Hulk. in 2001 oh. with uh, Anthony Hopkins. There's the Hannibal Lecter film. Nice. 25 hours around then as well. That's a great film. Yeah, yeah, fair point, yeah. Yeah, that's around 2001. He gained £30 pounds of muscle for this film, so he was all in. It wasn't the bad Santa diet that we always refer to, Keenan. Yeah, I mean, the dream. Where he got told, you got to put on a lot of weight for this. <laughs> do <laughs> I have to, to really? <laughs> used to be really used, do you remember when you were really fat? Yeah, that's what we need. <laughs> well, well done on getting getting into shape and stuff, but we just need you to be fat again. <laughs> Joaquin Phoenix was offered the role of Derek, but found the subject matter of the film distasteful and passed on the project. Yeah, it doesn't seem like this would be him at all. No. Marlon Brando was considered for the role of Cameron. Any chance you get to put him in a film? <laughs> Do you reckon they, they tried him for Winston Wolf? No, I doubt it. Tarantino trying to uh, see how much juice he has. Too much, a, a notoriously unreliable man in the only role he's supposed to be reliable. <laughs> be some, some great irony in there. Um, so there's a lot more on this you can read. I do have the basics. Um, there were constant changes to the script by Ed Furlong and Ed Norton that resulted in Tony Kay, the director, being so disappointed with the project and it left him wanting to quit. Oh, but um, have you read the full? Have you read the full crack of this? I've, I've got a bit for you, and you can probably uh, flesh it out. So this is fucking mint. Yeah, he he claimed that their tinkering with the script changed it so much from his own vision 
that he was completely unsatisfied in both Norton's performance and the end product. He feels it's just an unfinished piece. Um, Ed Norton was said to have re-edited the film to lengthen his own screen time. And the director refused to have his name attributed to it. And so he had a pseudonym placed there instead. Do you know what he wanted it to be? It's happy something, isn't it? No, it was Humpty Dumpty. There we go. <laughs> now, what? So, the rules, the rules within um, the actors or whatever it is, the guild, sorry, basically the guild. say that once you take on the pseudonym, you surrender your right to explain why. Now, don't get me why they have these rules, but that's the case. Now, he had a lot to get off his chest, and after being refused the right essentially to go on the record and explain all of this he said that his first amendment rights had been breached and sued <laughs> both the guild and the studio for 275 million dollars for trying to shut him up now keenan if, if you have anything to add into that there was a lot to read into that I didn't just no, want to read no it out, wasn't but... just um it wasn't just ed norton like own screen times the studio wanted a different cut as well. So the studio putting pressure on it. He's like, no, nah, no, nah. Ed Norton gets involved, shows his cut, doesn't do it. He's like, no, nah, it's not happening. He tries to put out his version, gets knocked back. They end up going with the, they end up going with the other version. And like, like Luke, like Byron says, he went through Humpty Dumpty. They rejected his pseudonym. He then took him to court, loses, then walks away, just doesn't speak about the film for, for forever. Like, well, I said forever, but doesn't speak yeah. about the film for years. Doesn't get another job until fucking 2006. <laughs> After this, by the way, think about it. I know, like, for all it is, it sounds odd to make a, a burner film about rampant fucking racist, but just actually a very well done film. Mm. Like, could have been, if this, if he wasn't such a fucking idiot and kept it, like, could have kept his head down, probably could have had a very, very big career. Does nothing what? for eight years, gets a job oh. in 06. Now, uh, now when he speaks about it, basically he's like he, he's then spent the last fifteen years after two uh, or like however long, um, just apologising for his own actions. Well, Keenan, must feel so bitter. During during lockdown, he took it upon himself to make a documentary called Humpty Dumpty that he's still trying to release and has oh. been unable to do so. Oh, so he's not let it go. Oh no! I don't think he, I don't think he's ever actually let it go. I think he realised he's probably needed some money. Yeah, so he's still trying it, and yes, he's not, he's I not don't getting very far. True or not? But I read last night basically he was he did a had to do a, <clears throat> he had to do like a mini apology tour to get the next film he directed, and then as he came back in and like pressed towards for the actual film, it was, people were asking about. It. He's like, yeah, I'm really sorry. He said his own <laughs> ego got in the way. Uh, he kept referring like he's, that was his line. One one of his main issues is he wanted a different ending that Ed Norton refused. Yeah. His ending was Derek standing in front of a mirror, shaving his head after Danny was shot and showing that this endless cycle of violence um, kind of ties everything up. And after this has happened, he hasn't changed at all. He's gone back completely to where he was at the start of the film. But Ed Norton rejected it. He said... He, he wouldn't have that be the ending of the film. And so the director says, well, now we've just got a completely disjointed plot that's been put together. 
and they can't come to terms on it and uh, the studio will go with Ed Norton. Ed Norton said, I've got a career to think about and I've turned <laughs> down saving Private Ryan for this. <laughs> you better believe just, um, ju- just as Just as an aside, just because someone's just sent it to me and it seems somewhat somewhat fitting. Frank Perch sent about Martin Hinterager is officially retired from professional football. The retirement was announced just two weeks after it was discovered he was organising a football event with his business partner Heinrich Sickle, a neo-Nazi. Bloody hell. So you're saying American History X 2 could be on. Directed by Humpty Dumpty. If we talk about the film that we do get, one of the things that I was kind of questioning myself as to whether I'd seen it properly, whether it's intentional or what you think about it. Derek never truly admits his issues, does he? He kind of indicates that's the case in terms of him taking things down off the wall, trying to tell his brother, look, don't make the same mistakes I did. But he never actively says out loud, I disagree with the beliefs that I had previously. I'm a changed man. This is nonsense. I don't think that anymore. His mind is essentially changed because a black man stands up for him. But how much do you think he has changed by the end of the film? Well, no, because he loses. He, he actually, prior to that, he sort of drifts away because he sees. He sees the. He sees the. Sorry, I can't talk. He sees the white supremacist dealing with other gangs in prison. Yeah. And he discussed he's disgusted by the the mixing. Unless you can talk about necessity or what in prison or what whatever you wish, but um, he obviously moves away a little bit there. Then Lamont sticks up for him, and he work he basically I don't I don't know if he ever walks away from the police, but he comes to the realization that it's all manipulation and trying to use people for your own ends, and it's just. It's a very ugly package. It's just a very ugly package that that particular form of manipulation comes in. So do you think that he does realise that the beliefs he had about an entire race were wrong? Or is it just that, okay, I may think that about them, but these other people are just as bad as well? I, you, it probably goes towards the latter. I don't think, I, like you say, there's never anything that he, he ever accepts, sort of, however you want to phrase it, that accepts anyone other than, what, two, two black people in the film? No, because the, slightly better with it, slightly better with the teacher, and he's okay with the black guy in jail because Lamont. Mm. Well, he realizes that the reason I'm not dead is because of Lamont. Yeah. If we go right back to the start of the film, then where I guess <laughs> this all begins, as is the nature of the start of the film. Um, his brother comes into the room, disturbs him while he's going at it. I've learned from last week, Keen, and I've worded that a bit a bit nicer. Yeah, I was waiting for your pig moment of the week. <laughs> I've, I've, I've written down um, the word that you could use for plumbing as well, but change just for you. No, look, it's your podcast. You do what you want. I just, <laughs> uh, don't No, don't put it all on me. It's yours as well. Fucking Anything well, people disagree case, with on this podcast, can... it's the joint ownership of <laughs> myself and Keenan Bonner of Cheltenham. You live in Gloucester. Let's please put that out there as well. Yeah, well, I'm saying you're Keenan Bonner of Cheltenham. There may be oh. one in Gloucester. Uh, no, mate, you can do a Google. There's literally, there ain't many of us. Um, <laughs> it's easy to find you then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why 
hate having to give my like yeah. in the job I do. I'm never a great fan of giving my surnames <laughs> people because I am worried one day someone's just going to find me online. And it's going to be it's just it's going to be on. I'm sorry, that's not so, the first thing I wrote down is I thought she was going to be in for some trouble, and I thought you're wearing those massive great platform boots in bed. You may have this coming to you. She gets off scot free. If we don't hear the brother explicitly say, so there's some black guys outside robbing your car. Someone shooting after the person robbing their car wouldn't seem like the start of this is where it all went wrong in a film. It would probably be you showing that the guy defends himself, blah, blah, blah. And we slowly see the, I think you see some posters on the wall while he's doing so. And the swastika on his chest gives us a clue, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. It does a little bit oh, and this all kind of unfolds from here. I text you both while watching this, this whole film in black and white because I just wasn't prepared for that. I actually couldn't. Like, when you texted me, I was cooking. And I was like, I actually can't remember. <laughs> but I didn't want to say it wasn't and then be wrong. And you just, like, what the, just hate it on that basis. But it's almost... Um... He's not so much angry about his car being taken, is he? It's the fact that he almost relishes the moment, the fact that he can go out and he has yeah. an excuse. It's it's who's it's who's committing the crime, not the crime that's being committed. Yeah, and then we set the spiral in motion of the fact that his brother's the one that tells him what's happened. Yeah, um, yeah, and then he watches that and watches your man go to jail. Three years, by the way. Yeah, that, so this confused me. I I had to pause for a moment and just check because. I saw that it, the brother doesn't look too much older. And I no, thought, well, he has, he has just killed two people. So how long was he in prison for? And it took me once, I think they say just after, three years in. For involuntary manslaughter. Also, there's something wrong there. I think. Manslaughter, I mean, I don't know. I don't, don't know enough to be that. Yeah. It's, it's to do with intent and stuff. But the first one, when he shoots the first first block, I sort of get defending your property. I didn't, it's weird that they've all just got guns, but he's America, <laughs> so lovely. Um, each to their own. The first one, yeah. M- 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 maybe you could excuse the second one. The lad that's wounded that he drags up and then curb stomps. We're going to talk about that in a moment. Yeah, yeah, but I feel like that action, the involuntary part, or the intent yeah. part is where, is that it's sort of when I take issue now. But three years. We haven't, yeah. seen, oh, we haven't done a... Rash. We've not done um uh yeah we've not done a Bronx Tale yet, have we? No. no. There's a scene in a Bronx Tale where the young kids in church after I won't spoil it for you, basically goes on and he's he's giving his confession to the priest and the priest says go and go and do I think it's like twelve twelve Hail Marys or something and the little <laughs> kid turns around and says twelve Hail Marys for a murder that's not bad father um, <laughs> and that's basically the equivalent. Yeah. It's, it's only really touched on, but the fact that. Isn't Lamont doing like nine years for like fucking nothing? Which yeah. I guess is, is obviously showing like, look, one of these guys got some a longer sentence for a reason here. But they don't really explore it too much there. They just kind of give you a bit of an idea. Yeah, because it's still very much from the viewpoint of the two brothers, isn't it? Yeah. So you don't really see much on the other side of that. I think if you didn't think there was a message in uh, Pulp Fiction, which, to be honest, I, I I wouldn't have even mentioned it if I hadn't seen Tarantino's quote. Hmm. I do think the message that they really 
do try driving home in this, aside from Keenan's uh, racism is bad, is the nature phrase, is the nature versus nurture thing that yeah. they do across the two family dinners where you have the first one where Derek attacks his sister over his white supremacist beliefs and then you have the second one where he's talking about this amazing professor he has and this book that he's getting to read and then his dad is just planting those ideas in his head yeah that's really well done because yeah, I that's great I didn't see the second one the second one coming in fact I knew that they mentioned his dad being killed but you kind of assumed that was his dad until he references uh, how dare you sit where he sit, which is a classic film thing. Hmm. But I thought the main kind of powerful point in all that is the first dinner conversation is so outright, but the second one with his dad is almost tucked in as like a reasonable conversation right until the end when he starts using N-words and things like that. And so it's even scarier, I think, and that's how you can see that these people do get kind of converted to these beliefs and you know that these people do exist. It's just indoctrination. And they don't even acknowledge it. it. Yeah. Indoctrination. Just, just, it worked. It, Particularly it from a father figure who he clearly yeah, exactly. looks up to. Yeah, it just, it just works. It's just, like, no, like, it's like they say, no, no one, no one's born a racist, are they? It's just, it's, unfortunately, it's what you learn or what more, probably more prevalent, what you're taught. Because you can see even in the, the first dinner conversation, his brother is almost disgusted by everything that's going on. Yeah. And then by the time he's got out of prison and he's got these people around him, that he's been turned as well. And it's just the cycle that keeps happening. And I thought that part was really well done. Yeah. The brothers, like, after, if you hear something often enough, you will believe it. Like, that's just a fact of life. But in terms of the brother, once he's, like, obviously the dad's passed away, his, the older brother becomes the main, the male role, main male role model in his life. When his brother goes away, who's there to look after him? It's his brother's mates. Yeah, and if they're all spouting their bullshit, you talk about the impre- impressionability of kids. See, if you if you wish, but I don't. I for almost anyone, if that was the case, and you were surrounded by that bullshit, and you've given ideas and so on and so forth forever and ever, eventually it, it, it seeps into you, whether it's conscious or subconscious, it will seep in after a while. His brother's even around, isn't he, when they're doing a blacks versus whites basketball game, and yes. he doesn't seem to realise kind of the issues in that moment. In fact, nobody seems to bat too much of an eyelid by the fact there's a whole crowd there cheering and getting involved in every point. His dad, I know his dad does a lot of awful things as we see by the second conversation. And who taught Derek his jump shot? That's a thing that is really missed out of this film because he's pinging shots like a prime Calvin Cambridge. And I don't know who that is. You're not seeing like Mike? I didn't know that was his name. Yes, I have yeah. seen like Mike, but I didn't know that was his name in that film. I knew it was no, Calvin. Um, <laughs> well, I had to look it up because all I had in my head was Calvin Candy, who probably would have fit in better on uh, probably him and Derek's Derek team. Might, might have been mates, to be honest. But <laughs> I, I, I don't know what Leo's jump shot's like. But he's a, he's a walking bucket, this guy. Yeah, not look, in a different path in life, he could have been White Man Can't Jump. He could have been Woody Harrison, but instead just became a massive racist instead. Do you think it gets a little simplistic once he meets his friend in prison? Do you have any issue with kind of how quickly he was reformed or do you think it does really work and it should be that simple that kind of once you realise how stupid this line of thinking is, it's that quick of a turn? Do you want three seven-minute scenes 
or four, five, however you want to do it. Let's call it three, five minute scenes of him in jail, extra scenes of him in jail uh, and the stages. It's not, uh, that's not me being negative. It's a genuine no, question. I, I was thinking after, and that's why I kind of opened with the, does he ever really apologize? Does he ever really confront it? Is it just one person looks out for him and that's really what turns his mind? And I just don't know if in the way that it's literally um, this small um, sample that's turned his mind, we don't see him kind of in the process of changing his mind. We don't see him having really a conversation with his friend in prison where you get the sense that he's acknowledging his views changing. It just seems to be that thing a, a switch almost flicks. And I don't know if that's intentional or if it is just that's how they edited the film and that's how uh, the story went. Oh, I mean, it should be relatively simplistic. That's, that's, it, that's, yes, like, that's what I'm getting at. Yeah, it, I mean, again, it, it really should be. It, it, like, don't be a dick. Oh, it becomes a lot, important. a much fleshier film, doesn't it? If you've got loads of scenes of him sort of coming to this conclusion, yeah. I guess yeah. they probably just thought as as a means of doing it. It's it's basically his issue is he realised how just it's all just hypocrisy and how flawed it all is. Mm. It's essentially how he comes to the realisation. So it's the, the, it's more of like a logical thing rather. The part than of a, it is, the, I mean, the first part of it is that essentially he walks away from white supremacists because he thinks he's a better white supremacist. Than yeah, them. they're not white supremacists enough for him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that that's it. But that is actually true, isn't it? They're dealing yeah. with gangs of different ethnicities and different races, and he's like, "Oh, I can't believe you're doing that." And isn't it that isn't he giving drugs to his own people is part of the issue he has as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But because he feels cheated because he signed up to this thing on the basis that he thought everyone was in on it. Yeah, yeah and it seems like he's the only one kind of sticking to the rules, if you like. Yeah, it's um. But yeah, that's, it's, it's, that is basically it. That's why he, that's what turns. That's what opens his eyes, isn't? any form of real enlightenment other than the fact that he realises essentially that white supremacists are ourselves. I think when he gets out and sees Danny with them, he does... I think that, your point about where you said he doesn't openly say it, I think that would be a little odd if he did. I think it's kind of... He shows enough yeah. in his reactions there, I think, that he's kind of disgusted by them now. It just seems I mean, like if his whole thing is, I need to make sure my brother doesn't go down this path, it could be done a lot easier by... He doesn't need to say it to his mates or the guys who used to be his mates. He could just say, look, this is nonsense. This I think potentially think. it's a bit... What you're suggesting is a little bit on the nose. I feel like what they've done is kind of... They've shown, not told. Yeah, because what yeah. you're asking for is him to go at, openly say it. It's not even necessarily me asking for it. It's just whether... How... What the choice was between them it. doing it. Because I think in prison any scenes of him gradually changing his mind, I do think would be incredibly cheesy. I think the that's, way that that's the thing, isn't it? Yeah. You'd probably have had something like he gets knocked over playing basketball and one of the black guys in prison gives him a hand to help him up. And that's the moment where he's like, Oh my God, we're actually all the same. That's the way that would usually be done in films. And it has been done like that in different that's films it. where it's not race. So and just having oh, three or four of those doesn't really add anything to no. the, I mean, the experience. In, really. in terms of what he shows, obviously, you watch him try and drag his, his brother away, don't you? And there are, he doesn't explicitly say it, but it, essentially that this is stupid. Then they go home mm -hmm. and they, they start ripping down posters off the wall and, and, and stuff. But that takes a while, by the way. <laughs> yeah. yeah, That's the, that's the big... Uh... For someone who's like, I'm no longer about it. 
doesn't do a lot of interior decorating. I think it's one of my first books. Like blank walls. <laughs> well, the mum, by the way, the, I mean, the mum is against everything and he's in prison for three years. She doesn't <laughs> think to rip this stuff down off the wall. Yeah. I don't know where he's ordering some of those stickers from, by the way, because some of them, like, I mean, I hope they're not getting multi packs of those. Jesus. I mean, he's, he's found a tattoo artist he's willing to do his job for him, so I imagine you can find six yeah. anywhere. Yeah, yeah, so I assume if if you're into that world, there's someone, someone will cater to to that need. A lad we went to school with did have a poster of Hitler in his room, Luke. We shouldn't forget that. No, we shouldn't forget that. No, that yeah. Is that genuine? Yeah, that is genuine. And his whole thing from about year eleven to thirteen was that he did have some uh, Jewish uh, ancestry. So it, it was a very confusing, confusing. time. Yeah. So he was. I no, I'm not going to touch that. That is. Yeah. I can say a lot without exposing it is either. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm not the one. I can say a lot of things <laughs> that, are, that are interpreted very badly there, and I don't need that work. I mean, to be honest, I don't think you'd be the one who would be in the wrong in that instance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But you know as well as I do that I am a gobshite and do have the ability to say an awful lot wrong very quickly. So, as long as as long as it's not <laughs> agreeing with him, then I think no, we'll probably no, be no, right, but... oh, no, 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 no. I, I see what my, you mean. We'll steer clear. My topic sentence about this film being racist to dicks. I wasn't. <laughs> I, I'm not hitting that hard a U-turn. No, that, there's a thing with with Ed Norton here, and I think it do, does work for this type of film, and it also works really well in Rounders. Well, I get to ask it, my Ed Norton question yet? Or what? You said seven minutes. Oh, so I thought that's what you were saying when you brought up the court case. So no, yeah, go for it. No, no, you can carry, carry on. While we're on the topic, but I was just think about it. it just pop back into my. Head. Yeah, we're on my little uh, topic headlined mm. Ed Norton with nothing else. So yeah, you, you, go, you um, go. He has a face that just looks like he's permanently wincing. Like before he, does, he says yeah. any line, he just looks like he's like <laughs> just squirming or whatever he's about to say. And so we've seen him film, recently, but his crow's feet. I know it's a weird thing to say, but his fucking crow's feet must be absolutely massive because his eyes always always look like he's wincing or squinting. <laughs> like, in fairness, he's got a good reason to wince. Got a good reason to wince in this one. Yeah, a lot of the time, yeah. You've watched Rick and Morty, haven't you, Keenan? Mm, yeah. Picture him playing the Birdman in that. And that's just a casting that I've just not seen. To me. I've not seen it enough to be able to do that. Okay. I assume by the Birdman, you just mean it's a, it's a bloke who's a bird. Like, no, uh, it, it, in, literally is, it literally is a bird. Um, as in, like, a, a creature of avian variety as opposed yeah. to... A, yeah, yeah, it's a whole different topic that we've tried to steer away from recently. Um, Christ. Is that not true? Did we not do Dog Day Afternoon no more than two weeks ago? Oh, I don't think we ever said Birdman. <laughs> uh, it took me a minute to where I thought you were sitting like, it's, I didn't even get where you were going. Uh. No, I was just in a. When I said a book, we'll, we'll move on in line with what you'd uh, said previously. And tell me, yeah. ask me your Ed Norton question. Your well, it's two questions actually. Cause I can't, don't actually know the answer to one of them. And if the answer to the one, the first one's no, then my second question is just irrelevant. You're a fairly big Ed Norton fan, though. I wouldn't say so. I oh, I don't think I've seen him in anything that I dislike. So I guess you could go that way about it. You got your top three for me for Ed Norton. I've only got about three coming to my head. Oh my god! So I would—I mean, rounders would be number one. I'd probably have—I'd have, say this number two, Fight Club number three. Um, 
after that, I'd have to have a little look at his filmography because I'm sure there's some blatant things I'm missing. Feel free to have a look at his filmography. I normally do when you ask me are, these questions. Are you, so asking you his, are you asking his best performance or are you asking the best film? Yeah, that's important, actually. Uh, I think there's an argument this is his best performance. Yeah. I don't think yes, I do. So I was actually thinking, I was thinking your three favourite Ed Norton films, but I will take his best performance to whichever, you, whichever you've got them already. Where does All right, Sausage I'll have... Party rank for you then, Keenan? Is that the Seth Rogen thing? It is, yeah. <laughs> I've the ending it, of that uh, film will stay with me forever. Because he's in that. What happens at the end? All the food massive orgy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Eh? Massive orgy, basically. Animated food, very odd. Okay. <laughs> I've seen the first... don't know how long it is. Basically, Joe, you know, when they, your man gets out of the... Um, they're running around the supermarket and then they like escape yeah. and then like, oh, yeah, I, yeah, turned, yeah. I, I turned it off after that. Oh, fucking Jesus. Yeah, yeah I, I fair, don't have fair enough. more than the three I said. Mm-hmm. I would I would say if you want his best performance, I think it's this, Primal Fear, I think I think 25th Hour. But I would, if you ask me his best films, I would say uh, Primal Fear, 25th Hour and Fight Club. Where's the Incredible Hulk rank? Quite low down, to be honest. <laughs> we don't talk about the Bourne legacy. Is that the Jeremy Renner one? It is, yeah. yeah. I like that more than you, I, I believe. Jesus. It just started getting good, and then he just sails off. Yeah, but I'd never... I I think that was the first one I'd ever seen. Blimey. Yeah, I only watched... I watched one because we did it on the pod. Yeah. In fact, I think I watched. Don't let Sean you say that. Do eh? Don't let Sean you say that. He's a big born man. Well, I'm pretty sure I said it when we did the um. When we, I think you did. I feel like I remembered that. Eh? I feel like I remembered that. I feel like I did, you know. But maybe you were too ashamed. No, I don't. have you met me? Come on. <laughs> what shame really doesn't enter my vocabulary now, does it? No. Uh, the main thing. What would yours be, then, Keenan? Just out of curiosity. Uh, mine would be rounders. followed by Fight Club and there's a couple of things that I really like him in but if we're doing if we're doing performances then the top three that we've said are the top three but stuff that I like him in there we get a chance watch the people versus Larry Flint okay um, yeah if you ever get a chance like it's basically about Larry Flint who just became like a porn magnate has <laughs> <laughs> anyone seen Kingdom of Heaven because he's in that I've not seen it though is that the Gods and it's like I don't think it's gods, but it is like swords and armor. Oh and no, it's not. So I'm lying to you. It's the um, Crusades. There you go. Is uh, Kingdom of Heaven? Sorry, Troy was the other one. It's in the Illusionist as well. Um, you've not seen Troy, have you? No, I haven't. That's nine hours long. It's not. All right. The legitimately nine hours long. Let's be honest. I'm not watching that. Disrespecting Brad Pitt again. Well, what are you gonna do? We'll move on. Um, other than the racism in this film, I would say the thing that I knew <laughs> about it before watching was the fact that there was a curb stomp involved. I think yeah. even people were there. Have you seen that? Oh, curb stomping that. And I thought at the start, because you see it from a different angle, don't you, in the opening scene, effectively what he's doing. And I thought, oh, is that that's just them insinuating it? It's not Oops. as bad as I thought. And then you do see it, and I actually don't think the stomp is the worst part about it. 
it's the teeth on the curb. Yeah. And oh. the noise it makes. It's like watching someone bite an ice lolly. Oh. Said that ice lolly kills them. Yeah. It's just oh, Jesus. what a fucking what a wonderful comparison. <laughs> well, it is that does it not make you squirm if you see someone if you saw someone in uh, fruit pasta lollies or a fab and they just yeah, no, bite yeah. to the top? Yeah, I, I oh, it's making your, me squirm just thinking point, about it. No, no, I understand your point, and you are correct. I, I know exactly, or I've never been curb stomped to be honest. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. If, if the next uh, sensitive toothpaste advert is someone getting curb stomped, we're getting yeah. they've got yeah, the dark yeah, yeah, for you, darling. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it goes down well. Oh, That's mate, the equivalent of the 72-hour deodorant, if you can just make it that strong for just no reason, <laughs> a toothpaste. Even stands up to curb stumps. That's how, you, that's how they should test gum shields. Oh, my fucking Jesus. You're going to have to be paid well to be the dummy. <laughs> yeah. don't, know why, don't know why I didn't realise, uh, starting in year seven, that going to with a sparkly green glitter gum shield may not have uh, given me a good first impression, but... When my when me and my mum went to Hudson Sports, I guess at the time, they didn't think to point that out either. Someone should have warned you. Yeah. The stomp in particular. Rough. Yeah, it's pretty much as sold, isn't it? Like if someone told you you see a curb stomp in a film. Oh yeah, someone was. They if, pretty if, much if, give to you. To be honest, mate, it, I, I've not seen many other curb stomps in my life, but that's me. That's textbook. <laughs> yeah, they, <laughs> they, what, I mean, is, what I mean is, is they give you a brutal. Yeah, they that give is you the wrong as brutal as you can expect stomp. to see it. Yeah, 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 that was definitely, definitely brutal. And a lot of the negative criticism for this film is, for one, the complaints of the language being used in it. I don't know how you do this film without that. No, no. There and... are a lot of films of that. There's a lot of films of that nature where, like, I'm not saying for good or for bad, but like, I can't remember what it was recently. It was film set in the seventies, and you're like, and it was about fucking old white guys in the 70s and you're telling me old white guys in the 70s not every one of them but you're telling me a lot of old white guys in yeah. the 70s aren't racist you're telling me a lot of old white guys aren't racist now they weren't but, watching their words were they do you know what I mean no no because there's complaints about the violence in it as well and it's not an original take from me but I feel everything does need to be as brutal as it is like the themes they're covering in this shouldn't be a comfortable watch this shouldn't be no. an easy watch for you to get through we'll sit this on on a Sunday afternoon yeah, I don't think, uh, unless you're of a particular mindset, I doubt you sat through it. You shouldn't be sat through this film smiling going, oh, yeah, I'll tell you what, yeah. Derek. No, it's one film. of the most intense films I've seen. Oh, I. Even it's, like, with... it's like listening to Rage Against the Machine and being furious that it wasn't calming you. So it's not really the point. You're not supposed no. to do that. I mean, the brutality, like, brutality is just an easy way to show hatred, isn't it? And you can do it mm, yeah. through, like, do you know when you talk about scenes to explain the the him walking away from it or coming away from it, but instead of having long elongated, elongated scenes about how he reaches that point, you can just have him at that point and show what point he's at by being that level of violent. The intensity of it, yeah, yeah. yeah. The black and white makes it look worse as well, doesn't it? It's like um, yeah. there, there's almost nothing else to take your attention. Like the the content of the picture is entirely. Yeah, there's no color. Everything no, in that, yeah. There's, yeah, there's no color of the, There's no color of the car. There's no. no even the scene when um, lamp or whatever, uh, they're what ransacking the, the uh, supermarket, and you've mm. got this like slow motion shot of them pouring milk on this woman's face. When, in the grand scheme of things of the film, that wouldn't be in the top three. But just 
the the violation yeah, yeah. there the way it's shown i think the milk in black and white just had such an eerie look about it in even just in the way that shot it all feels extra depressing with it as well. yeah everything just feels extra depressing with the black the mo- and white on there the moment after the stomp when the police pick him up and he, he his arms are outstretched like christ and you've got this choir music kicks in in the background. It's, it's so like powerful in the way it's done, but it's just so horrible at the same time. Like it's intense for the most part of the film, and that kind of subsides in the moment for, I guess, just like uneasiness or just like Danny's face doing the, well. Ed, the Ed Norton face. Like just yeah, he's it's grinning. Almost got like, it's just smirk. It's almost a smirk, isn't it? He oh, lifts but, his head up. He's, he's, yeah. He's smoking, but then his brother looks absolutely horrified yeah. and realizes he's realized he's witnessed something that's just like absolutely insane. And he knows his brother's bang in trouble. Whereas shooting two people obviously is absolutely fine. And he blames himself for it by the fact that he alerted them to the fact that uh Yeah. It happened. With with the brother then, in the conclusion of the film, the ending we do get, I text TK just before. Like, I have a horrible feeling I know how this is going to end. And I hope that's not the case. But you could kind of see it working yeah. up to that. Do, do we think it was because they knew who Derek was? Because it does feel a bit strong. As much as he was a racist, I don't know how much they knew of that. It, it feels a bit strong for just kind of breaking up a beating and then blowing cigarette smoke in their face. I mean, it does also try and do mind Kampf as a school. Do project. they know that, though? So that's what I'm saying. The, the I, lads I mean, that I, he sees. I, I don't know. I, 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 you'd assume so somewhat, right? He does talk about doing Mein Kampf as a, as a history project. It, well, the impression um, I got was those lads in the, in the um, bathroom hadn't seen him before by the fact that they don't give any kind of reaction as he comes out of the, the cubicle. True. So I didn't know if it was because they knew who his brother was or if it was a combination of the both. Because as much as they hate him, I mean... He was on the basketball court and with a Nazi tattoo on his chest and they came to nick his car. They didn't come in with a gun and shoot him six times like they do and leave him headfirst in the urinal. Mm. And I didn't know if there was but an explanation for that that the, I missed. The film doesn't pander though, in the same sense as that same group was like bullying some kid prior to it. That's when Danny obviously goes in there. Yeah. So then they end up killing him. And the guy looks shook that he's shooting someone. So there is a whole thing there. It's like they probably fall into this gang, yeah, and they're doing on their own end. They're doing things that aren't great either. Not comparable to no. neo-Nazism, but the fact that they've ended up probably in a, in a sort of string of violence as well, maybe to counteract the Nazis, is, and again shows how kind of cyclical it is. I guess. I feel like the police could have taken his head out the urinal. I feel like at the point where you're letting him go in there, I understand it's a crime scene. Do they need to leave him head first in a stream of piss? Does Ed Norton make it through that comfortably? Probably not. Just go no. steaming in there. It's, 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 my overriding thing is, what are your thoughts on dead people narrating? Because it irritated me in Legend, and I still don't know why that film has the props that it does. But One quite simple reason, Alec. Yeah, uh, just... Dead people narrating, I think that needs to be a thing that's just stopped in films. Or at least have the narration up until you've died. I don't want you narrating after you've died. Not even if it's a diary entry. Yeah, like this is like his, he's writing this thing about his brother, the whole thing, isn't it? I think this is a power, even if I know what you mean in terms of I can see it's going this direction, 
the that's the it. legend one was worse. So that was that's kind of just I've remembered that after seeing this, and it's just irritating me again. I do think this works, and I think they Fit probably up. have they have to do it. I think ultimately yeah. Derek has has to pay this price, even if he does seem a reformed character. One of the things I think about why this could be Norton's best performances. I don't know if you empathise or sympathise with him, but I don't think you totally despise him, and you should just totally despise. You root for him just to not go back, basically. More yeah, than... and you do you do feel like he has kind of changed somewhat, and so obviously, but he has to pay this price. So he also, has to pay a bigger price than he probably has, and this is it. If if you want, as a filmmaker, to make us sympathetic towards a character, having them be assaulted in the way that they are is a pretty good way to go about it as well, because it's hard to then continue <laughs> resenting someone after. That is... Are you talking about the curse? But just when you've got recovered from the curse stomp. <laughs> oh, God. I like, the scene's bad enough as it is. The thing that made it worse for me is that there's two, blo- there's two blokes either side spreading his legs apart. Oh, God. Was that needed? And then he starts bleeding. You're like, oh, yeah. God. Yeah, that is horrifying. Uh, I've still not recovered from thirteen reasons why, and I feel like this just opened up the wound. No, I'm not. You could have used another expression. Not going to do it. There's just no need for it. All right. Well, you can tell by the fact that I didn't say anything after, but I wasn't trying to make a joke there. <laughs> no, no, no. I'd have wanted sure to think Reddit if I was. This is just, yeah. Oh, and this and is bear in mind as soon as the shower scene in a prison thing comes on you tense up yeah, anyway yeah. you're brave for it and yet it still hits you like a ton of bricks it's, do you think it's supposed to highlight the um, like authority as well but you have them turning their back in the showers you have them in the outside they see everything that's going on it's referenced by uh, his stepdad where he's pointing out the uh, Rodney King thing and the disproportionate amounts of um, black men in prison compared and all of this and then at the end, when this guy is at least trying to reform himself, and they're still trying to send him back in around these people, and I thought that was quite a conscious thing, just to really no one leaves this film in a positive light. Yeah, no one leaves unscathed. Yeah, true. Is this on that list of films that you don't need to see twice? Like, I know you both have for the purpose of doing this. I feel this is like a one-and-done film. Like, I don't need to watch this again. Oh, I've seen it a few times, strangely. Seems a very, very good film. For it all, is a very good all, film. All and done, it's a very, very good film, I think. Yeah, for all this difficult subject matter, it's yeah. really well done. If I was like, if I was flicking through, I actually know I've seen it a few times. If I was flicking through, like, Sky Tonight, it was on, maybe not now, because I watched it on Monday, Tuesday, whenever it was. Um, but in like a few weeks, a month, a few months' time, and it was on, I'd probably end up sitting and watching five minutes of it before I turn it over. Like, I'd stop and watch it if it was on. I thought it was one of them. But I get, I get what you mean. I'd be more likely to watch a clip than I would sit and watch Yeah, I don't know if yeah. I'd sit down for the full whack every every six weeks, right? But I think there's a curb stomp coming up. Anything more to add before we get into the judging? No, not really. I was going to say, they do a great job of showing how basically pathetic and juvenile it is through that uh, Seth, the fat guy. Yeah. He's the yeah. perfect embodiment of just the, basically just a bloke who didn't grow up and he did a group and then found himself in with this. Just bollocks. That was definitely a thing around that time, what's this, 96, of 
there's just always someone who has a camera out just filming everything. Blair Witch Project, baby. <laughs> yeah. That's what it is, though, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, candid... I shouldn't say candid camera, because that's something slightly different, but candid filmmaking <laughs> was... <laughs> <laughs> it was all arranged for a while, wasn't it? <laughs> all right, so, Keenan, I'll go to you first. Yeah, Which man. film did you prefer? Pulp Fiction. TK? Yeah, Pulp. I agree. Does anyone think that American History X is more rewatchable? I don't. No. Best moment slash scene, Keenan? Maybe it's the Marvin scene. I think it's the dance. What about you, TK? Uh, I'm going to say the whole bit of Jules and Vincent going shooting in on the backseat and going to Jimmy's. I'm going to say that <laughs> whole bit. I'm cheating somewhat there. but oh, You're a special, you. special guest these days. We'll give you that. <laughs> Sticking with you, TK. Best quote? Well, something we didn't really give much to. But the walking scene absolutely murders me. And I do think, hit it in the one place, he knew he could hide something, his ass. Five <laughs> long years, he wore up his ass. Then when he died of dysentery, he gave me the watch. Just that little segment from his thing absolutely kills me. The, the pauses that he has more than usual in this are because he forgets his lines because he was doing something else at the same time. And he just takes a second and then remembers it. And they, he didn't think this was going to be the take they used. And then they said it still felt natural, even with the pauses. So That's Tarantino so liked it and used it. So good. What do you reckon, Keenan? Same as this was last week, mate. You can write me off about a list of about 30 out of Pulp, pulp Fiction. I'll just, I'll just sign it. Anyone. Yes. Sir. Very, very quotable film. Mm. I quite liked after the whole um, quarter pounder with cheese discussion where he asked what, what they call a whopper. He said, well, I didn't go to Burger King. <laughs> <laughs> Absolute fucking... Which is disrespectful, by the way, because whoppers are sensational. They are. Mm. XL bacon double cheese, they're probably better. No cheese. No cheese for me. Never cheese. Actually, I suppose you're not... Eat- the- whenever I have a Burger King, it's sat in uh, Victoria Station where... There's so much mayo in a Whopper that it's just so dangerous to have when you're not sat at a table. Whoppers are sensational, mate. They're just just class in there. I don't have a Whopper. It's just just a different level. Fuck, I might treat myself this evening, actually. (laughs) Oh, I still need to cook. I still need to cook my dinner. It's nine o'clock here. Yeah, we'll finish in a second. We're, We're missing the start of Love Island, to be fair. Fucking hell, what a sacrifice. I did enjoy it. I did, I did my notes as well. Uh, their discussion about them drowning fries in mayo in uh, in, in Holland. So do it, man. They fucking drown it in that shit. It's not another <laughs> film. There's not another film. I was watching. Have I told you before, Byron, about my love of cooking programs? Yeah, I do quite like them myself, but more the dramatic, the dramatic type. Oh no, mate, no! Like, so I think we've had that exact discussion. That yeah, I'm more I'm of a Hell's Kitchen, like, Kitchen nightmares. Yeah, I've, I've seen them, but I'm all in on. Like, I was watching Anthony Bourdain. Uh, I think it was a Sunday. It was a little bit over. And they were talking about. He was speaking to Nigella Lawson. They were they were eating chips in a pub, and he's like, "They're on about con- they're on about condiments." I've never even heard of this before, and like, barring this film, she's like, she's just like, "Oh, for me over here, it's just salt and vinegar." And she was like, "Maybe if I'm in, maybe I'm if I'm on the continent like Belgium, I'll, I'll have some mayo." But she was like, "Not here." I was thinking, are you fucking mental? <laughs> get, me that, get, get me that orange, get me that orange mayo here, 
and I shush the best Marshall. mayo that is. Yeah, people are saying yeah, Hellman's. Romans. Bloody love me some mayo. Yeah, I do as well. Used to have a weird thing about it when I was a kid, right? It's not like the but like Joe like the bottle. Joe like the way it come like comes out of the bottle. It just looks like a re- it looks horrendous. Got yeah. Got <laughs> I, like if if, May- if mayo was on something. Unfortunately for Byron, it. he's just said how much he loves mayo. I said you said not. There we go. Yeah, but like no, it just people that hate mayo looked- do really hate mayo. Yeah, yeah they do. It it never it just never looked great to me. But basically, like if it was on something, like if I was ordering a burger and it came out, I'd be like yeah. Mint, I'd absolutely love it, but I would just refuse to put it on anything. Because nice. of the way it looked like going on the going on the plate, just would refuse to put it on anything. Now, to be honest, I just absolutely hold oh, on fucking everything. You you need um, squeezy mayo really because you start in a jar. If you, oh, if you like dollop that and you've got thin chips, you can't get some good like leverage on the dunk because the mayo is too heavy. So yeah, you, you mate, it just it way. used to it just Thick. used to look like it Thick. just used to look, look like a block of fat and that's what used to kill me. Them jars. MVP Keenan. Feels strange to say it, but probably Derek. I mean, comes out unscathed and he does at the end. I know he loses a brother, but he manages he probably manages to walk away from it. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Does he die? That's all. Well, that, that is the sticking point here. I I do realise. You always say, "Does he? Did, did they die?" Technically, no. that's the shoot rule. Well, you've stuck to it a lot over the years. That's why I think it's it's uh, got to be your man Samuel L. Well, Jules. Yeah, I mean, I, I I'll happily. It I'll could happily be the wolf. Yeah. It can't be the wolf. He's nicking a living. <laughs> he's a he he's an integral advert. character. <laughs> I mean, you didn't see Jules lining up for direct line adverts, did you? I'm going Jules. Yeah, you're more than welcome to. That is the correct answer. But don't just don't change your mind now. Fine. I'm really not we know who you thought. TK, who do you think? You could put a Say count on the pigeons. It's always, <laughs> it's always been really muggy. But I'll, uh, yeah, I, th- I think Jules. I think ultimately Samuel Jackson is probably who you think of with this. So I'll go with that. Probably. Best side character, Keenan. The wolf. TK? Yeah, absolutely. The wolf. I agree. Which Always controversial thoughts? You still managed to throw one up, run out a 3 0 winner. Hmm. Intriguing. <laughs> Which film has the better character development? American History X. Do you agree, Keenan? Yeah, but not like well. It's like you said. You 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 actually miss a lot of the development, don't you? But I think it, it is it better because the subject matter is just a lot more. Is a lot is a lot darker. I think that we don't see much character development in Pulp Fiction. Either. We see some from Jules, and that's really yeah. about it. No, yeah, that's it. Everyone else is pretty much the same guy. Yeah, everyone else is as unapologetic as it gets. Mm. Keenan, most dramatic scene? I mean, probably the rape scene in American History X. Or, curb or the curb stomp. I'll go to curb stomp. TK? 
yeah, you're probably picking between your rape scenes here, aren't you? And I'll go with the American History X one. A phrase I never thought I'd hear on this podcast. We'll move on from yeah. that, Keenan. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, better, yeah. better soundtrack. Uh, Pulp Fiction. TK? Oh, Pulp Fiction. Incredible. Keenan, yeah, no, you crack on, son. Which film is more original? American History X. I disagree. I'm going Pulp Fiction. So, TK, you're the deciding vote there. It's tricky, isn't it? Because Pulp, it's, I was saying Pulp Fiction instinctively. And yet, obviously, it's very much Tarantino. We've obviously already seen a couple of his films by this point. Yeah, I was going to say... I'll still like, go with Pulp Fiction, though, on balance. I was going to say, in terms, of, um, in terms of originality, maybe it's because of the order I saw the films in. To me, American History X, I'd... Yeah. A lot when I watched it. Another film, Byron. If you want to add to the the list of films, I was far too young to see at the age I saw them. Um, so to me, I just don't. I hadn't seen like anything like anything like. It. I don't really think. I, I was. I don't, I'm not really sure. I still have. Well, which film do you think has the bigger impact? Uh, what to this day is pop. It's Pulp Fiction. TK? Yeah, it has to be. Ian, best opening scene? Uh, American History X. TK? I'm going to say Pulp Fiction. As am I. Fair enough. You get a buzz once that, uh, that, that little bit of conversation goes, once that music hits, you get that buzz going. Uh, that I associate that music more so with the Black Eyed Peas. That is bad, you're right. Pump It was an anthem, though, come on. It's not even our best song, mate, to be fair. No, it's not, but a great song. Mm, great is stretching it. you got to meet him halfway, Keenan. I think I still yeah, know. I'll get my coat. <laughs> get my coat. I think I still know we're, all the words to Pump It as well. We're, uh, we are right at the end of the pod, CK, so it might be that time anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Keenan, best ending. Um I don't know, tough very tough one, but probably pulp fiction. TK. Yeah, that is tough. I'm gonna leave it American history out, so I do think it's a powerful ending. I think as I said, I think it had to happen. So I'm going pulp fiction, Keenan, I'm riding with you. Okay. That's a rarity. It's not. I would it's, say so. If you look at the amount of unanimous decisions we've had uh, this bracket. Mm. And best chemistry, Keenan? Pulp Fiction. TK? Yeah, yeah. Some of the best chemistry you'll ever see. I agree. So I do think they um I do think they missed the trick not not really reuniting. Unless someone can tell me they are, but not really reuniting uh Travolta and um Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah, for sure. Don't know Hopefully how long it was before again. Travolta went off the, went off the yeah. rails. But... Well, Pulp Fiction does go through 11-2, so maybe Bruce Willis will get some more airtime in the next round. Next week, we have the return of a fight in the rain. It's Gangster Squad versus Gangs of New York. Fucking arse a long week. Gangster Squad's pretty, <laughs> pretty short. Fucking Gangs of New York, ain't mate. No, so maybe it levels out, but I've not seen Gangs of New York, so that'll be my first viewing. I can't wait for this. Oh, wow. 
There we go. Thank you again for listening to another edition of Movie Madness. We'll be back next week. Goodbye.